Hello, and welcome to Outside is Overrated. I'm your host, Tom Sidlachik, and today we have a great show for you. We're going to discuss director Guy Ritchie. In the back half of the show, we have an interview with musician Bug Hunter from Seattle. Joining us for the discussion today are Billy Parrott, back for the second time in three months. What's up, everybody? <laughs> welcome back, Billy, and my amazing wife, Phoenix. Honey, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back. It's been quite a while since you recorded hasn't it i believe it was star wars yes star wars yeah back in the beginning of the year when we talked about the entire anakin skywalker saga oh yeah that's right we did that show it was like 11 movies and a couple tv shows and we said that is too much for a podcast (laughs) so today we're gonna talk about 11 different movies (laughs) what have you guys been up to since the last time you were on It's a perfectly logical question. I don't know why everyone's laughing. I'm going to cut out all the other stuff. This continuity is going to be great. What I've been doing most recently, um, I've been listening to uh, a podcast, um, Fake Doctors, Real Friends. Mm -hmm. Really been enjoying that. It's Zach Braff and Donald Faison, if I got that correct. You did. And it's really fun. Uh, They're watching each episode of Scrubs and then talking about it. Sometimes they'll add, uh, have special guests on, like uh, one of the most funniest ones I've just heard recently is Scott Foley. Yes. (laughs) Nobody cares, Sean. Nobody cares. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Sarah Chalk is really good. They actually had Brendan Fraser on as well, talking about the most popular episode. But... That's been a delight to listen to because I'm trying to remember the episodes because I haven't really watched all of them recently. But to hear them talk about it, talk about the stunts that Zach had to do, and it's been fun. You have really been enjoying that show. It's fun to hear your recaps of it because yeah. I only listen to podcasts, including Outside is Overrated, when I drive. And now that I work from home, like I drive to pick up Daisy from daycare three days a week, and that's like all my driving time. That's right. So it's, yeah. it's fun to hear your recaps of them. We also did something for you the other night that yes. I thought was pretty interesting. <laughs> your brother had started playing Diablo, and Diablo is your favorite? I would game? have to say it's my favorite. Yeah, so he, your brother got really into it, and we saw he was online playing, and we asked if we could join. Turns out you can't bring a guest online, so we bought you your own subscription to PlayStation Plus. So we have two PlayStation Plus subscriptions in this Ooh. house. Yay! These are strange and unprecedented times, and you've had a couple of days to play with your brother. How's that been? It's been good. Uh, we played together with him uh, Thursday night, and then I played with him last night, and it was fun. We were just messing around and he was trying to finish the final story and you're going to bring up the final boss aren't you i sure am <laughs> so i ask if we can join him he's like yeah sure and he sends us an invite and we jump in and uh i it's been a while since we played the story in the game so yeah. i didn't nothing clicked right away and we run down some hallways and we beat some minions and then we go into this boss fight and i'm like I'm pretty sure this is the end boss. And like Odin's level 58-ish, the level cap is 70. And once you hit level cap in Diablo, you can start gaining these special levels called Paragon levels where you still kind of level up, but uh, it's just like a different system. We're Paragon level 100 and 100. So we're on a different plane from where your brother is right now. And uh, (laughs) we walk into this boss fight (laughs) and just demolish him. So you're just helping him level up at this point. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Is he getting the experience that you're getting on his lower level character? I don't. Or does it balance itself? I, it looked like it was balancing itself because last night he was saying that it was um, a little bit harder for him, but he kept it on normal, and he thinks the necrom—I cannot say the word right—necromancer. Um, 
is a little overpowered for normal because he sure. said he breezed through it very quickly. Okay. So, right. but um, but so he's not reaping all the benefits. He's, not he's really. Getting, like level seventeen experience and not like right. Yeah. The enormous amount of experience that you would be getting. Yeah. Well, it just it felt I felt so terrible. I mean, <laughs> you jump in and ruin the final boss, and he's been enjoying this game. It's like, oh man, <laughs> if the roles were reversed, I guarantee I would be very annoyed. No, he he said no. That's fun. He enjoyed it, and then your brother's a better person than me. <laughs> and then last night I tried not to play as much, you know, sorry, because it'd take one knock here or there, and they would be out. So I have to say I enjoy ramping up the levels. I kind of want to say, hey, Odin, let's ramp it up here. <laughs> but <laughs> just crank up the difficulty a little bit. You get more experience. You get more gold, and it's a little bit more of a challenge. I'm so proud of you, honey. Last night was also. The first time that you logged on to PlayStation on your own, like yeah. into the PlayStation Network and jumped into a game, like that's kind of a big step in your game development. Yay! Yay. Do I get a sticker? Oh no, you get something else. Honey. <laughs> oh. Billy, yeah. it's time to go again. We haven't had enough whiskey yet, Tom. <laughs> we'll get there, Billy. We'll... What have you been up to since the video game music episode? Yeah, the video game music episode, um, which everyone agreed with and said we were totally right on a hundred percent. Yes, you'll have to hear our real opinions if you want to hear. Actually, if you want to hear our real opinions, you'll have to subscribe to Patreon and pay ten dollars, and then you can hear our latest podcast where we just freeform. And we really tell you how we feel about your opinions. But yeah. we're not going to tell you here <laughs> because is... we're nice people here. But if you pay $10... Then you can listen to Tom and Joey Unfiltered, where Billy was a special guest. Correct. Since the music podcast, I have been... Let's see. I have been awaiting The Last of Us Part 2. And I've been currently playing that. I'm about... 20 some odd hours in right now yeah tom just started it he seemed to enjoy it i started the first one yeah the first the one. first one yes. yeah it is a the first one as everybody knows it's a well as you're finding out i should mm-hmm. say it's a beautiful sad story and they did it really well and the last of us too and again like i said in our latest podcast i'll keep spoiler free but i am enjoying it very mm-hmm. much uh the wife and i right now are currently in between rewatching Lost for the fourth time, as I had mentioned. So we're still going through that. Okay. And then on the uh, side of that, we're... Casey uh, Casey did the last episode of OAO with us, and uh, I happened to be hanging out with him today, and Lost came up. He says it is the worst show that he has ever watched. He's he... not the only one that's ever said that. <laughs> I agree, too. To yep. So I get why people do not like that show. I understand completely. Are we ever going to watch it? Uh, we can try it. I used to have the first season. I owned it. I enjoyed the first season. As the seasons went on, I kind of... If you've got Hulu, it's on Hulu. Okay. Um, kind of fell off for me. Sort of like Battlestar Galactica towards the end. Yes. Remember, this is like 22 episodes that are an hour long. And it's yeah. Hard seasons. pass. <laughs> so it's not Hard like, pass. It's not like breathing through scrubs. No, You it's know not. what I mean? This is like, you're going to get... You're going to have to dedicate some time. No, thank you. There you go. I mean, I'll give you the synopsis of Lost at some point, and then you guys would be like, oh, is that what happens? And be like, yes, you just saved yourself eight years. Sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) But then we're doing that. And then, uh, as we were discussing before this podcast started, uh, we are starting uh, 
BBC's Sherlock again. Okay. With Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. So let's talk about how Phoenix feels about that show. I would <laughs> love to hear what <laughs> Phoenix thinks about this show. You're really going to put me on the spot, aren't you? I am. I thought we were going to wait till we do a Sherlock story episode. We should do an entire Sherlock <laughs> podcast. That would be fantastic. We've talked about it. The problem is scope. There is such a huge breadth of Sherlock Holmes yeah. material. Like That's what you get to talk down. about. That's true. You can go in every direction that you want talking about Sherlock. It can yeah, be just a 37 hours and then I have to spend a year <laughs> editing it. You could do, yeah, like an unscripted Sherlock. Yeah, that's true. We'll do a 24-hour marathon show for Ooh, charity. That would be interesting. Charity, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. I'm just charity, talking right? about you're the charity. <laughs> <laughs> you're the charity. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Sure, that sounds good. <laughs> okay, I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. I was born at home. Oh, no, honey, we're going to talk about it later when we're talking about the Guy Ritchie movie. Okay, well, you said now, so I was just like, okay. I meant tonight, like now in a very general sense. Oh, a generalized mm, yeah. sense. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, yeah, but you bring the thunder when it's time, honey. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> I'll make it you. Yeah. That's going in outtakes. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's great. Yes. Before we move on, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. If you'd like to follow us or the show on social media, you can email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overratedpod at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Tom Sidlachik, OIO. That's Tom, T-O-M, Sidlachik, S-E-D. L-A-C-E-K-O-I-O and Mrs. O-I-O on Twitter. Or you can follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash outsidersoverrated where we started doing Facebook lives for the shows, which was pretty fun last month. I do have to say, even though our last name is long, you won't believe how many times people had a hard time just spelling fours. Really? F-O-R-S? Yeah, it just it would just be like, no, no. It, yeah, it just was just cumbersome. <laughs> I find myself getting called Ted an uncomfortable amount at work situations. Really? Like, Ted? people will mess up Tom. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. you mentioned that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, people will, like, call me, like, write an email to me and say, hi, Ted. I'm like, I signed my last email, Tom. Like, yeah. three letters. Clearly, they're paying attention. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. It's like my last name. They try to, it's Parrot, P-A-R-R-O-T-T. But people look at it, and they see Parrot, but they're oh. like, clearly it's not Parrot. So they're like, Perot. Oh, interesting. Parrot? I'm like, it ain't that fancy. Pretty white trash. You can say Parrot, it's okay. And they're like, oh, Parrot. That's an interesting last name. So I totally get it with the yeah. last names. Yep. So your fans like Parrot Heads then? If we were Jimmy Buffett fans, sure, yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. true. But yeah, yeah, my dad does wear Hawaiian shirts every day. Awesome. True story. Hmm. That's sweet. You hmm. like Hawaiian shirts. I do like Hawaiian shirts. Yep. Hell yeah. You know what else I like? I like Guy Ritchie films. All right. You're bringing us back. <laughs> yeah. Bringing us back. <laughs> Guy Ritchie broke out in the late 90s and early 2000s with a couple cult classic movies with Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch. Is cult classic the right category or were these bigger movies than that? Uh, I would say Lock, Stock is probably more. I'd go Lock, Stock is the cult classic. Yeah. And Snatch was like his breakthrough. Yeah. I agree with that one. 
He's gone on to do... Those were both kind of crime heist type movies, and he's gone on to do three more in a similar style, including The Gentleman, which came out earlier this summer. We're going to start our discussion today on these crime movies, and uh, I thought it'd be helpful for us to just run through their... Run through them real quick with a real quick synopsis. Mm-hmm. Starting with Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. This came out in 1998. The basic plot premise is that four friends find themselves indebted to a crime lord and plan a heist to pay him off. Yep. Yeah. Also, this section is going to say crime lord in uncomfortable amount. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> they're all crime movies. Yeah, yeah crime sure. Movies, yeah. Crime lords, yeah. Following Lock, Stock, Snatch came out in 2000. In Snatch, a boxing promoter winds up indebted to a different crime lord and winds up having to rely on a wild card boxer, and it's just all these wild strings yep. play out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Five years later, Revolver comes out. Uh, all three of these movies have Jason Statham. By yeah, they right? do. They yeah. do, yes. Uh, in Revolver, an up-and-coming criminal, Statham, takes on another crime lord who did him wrong. It's a... Uh, this is more of a mind-bending film. I don't know how much we're going to dive into Revolver. I do want to talk about Jason Statham's hair and that. <laughs> I know you do. Yeah. And the fever f- dream that this movie was because I watched yeah. it over the weekend and I was like, "Oh yeah, I forgot how this movie went." Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit, probably. Please. Yes, I digress. And most recently, before the gentleman earlier this year, was Rock and Rolla, which came out in 2008. A group of misfits from London, Britain. Yeah, London. Somewhere. London. Yeah, I'm great with geography. Just great. <laughs> uh, this group of misfits is screwed over by the local crime lord. The crime lord loses a wealthy business partner's famous painting, which creates a riff, and uh, misfits inadvertently rob the original crime lord of two shipments of money. And then a bunch of stuff happens. Well, the accountant was a key role in that film. Mm-hmm. She was fantastic. But She hired these guys to steal from... The crime lord. The crime lord, the Russian. Yes. Yes, she did. But they were indebted to the other crime lord. Yes. So. Who was the British guy, the older British guy, who was working with the Russian trying to get some land development going. Now, a lot of land, land development in the movie. Like, the yes. whole... Everyone was trying to deal in land. Yes, they were. So that's a basic setup on the different crime movies. We're not going to go movie by movie and do a thorough breakdown like we did for the Anakin Skywalker saga. (laughs) But I thought we'd talk about a few of these themes, or a few different themes. Starting starting off, what was our favorites for each of us out of these crime movies, and what made it stand out? Phoenix, go ahead. All right, I'll go first. Uh... I have to say Snatch. That was the first film I saw of his. I, When I saw it, I fell in love with it. And my sister and I both watched it. And we love the uh, quotes from the movie. We love the characters from the movie, the dialogue. just And also how everything came in full circle. The whole movie came in first full circle. And that scene in the car, how all the characters with the car crash, he throws the milk out. And, you know, everyone meets again, sort of, in that circle. And I just loved his writing, and it just captured me. And April and I would walk around high school quoting (laughs) the uh, the scenes from this movie. And, you know, April and I were Lily White from a little small town of Mora. And to quote these lines, it had to stick with us. We just just fell in love with the movie. What's wrong with this one, Turkish? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, those sausages. 
Oh, the sausages. Two minutes, Turkish. Two minutes. It's tip top, Tommy. I just don't think I like the color. What's wrong with the parking space? (laughs) (laughs) Why do I want a caravan that's got no wheels? can't do that pikey accent. I know the pikey accents, accent. Pikey is tough. Yeah. That is tough. And then I love that rewatching Snatch, that dialogue, the way he can write dialogue, and especially that scene with Vinnie Jones talking to the two characters with the replica guns. Oh my god. That's, that's <laughs> like an intense scene. Yeah, I know. So, so intense. Vinnie Jones plays this badass enforcer type dude, and he's sitting... Uh, Bullet Tooth Tony. Bullet Tooth Tony, and he's sitting at a table drinking a beer after... Something went wrong. Car crash. After a car crash. And uh, these guys come up and try to rob him. And it's just a hilarious scene where he demasculates them by comparing them to male and female genitalia. In this equation, one is the dick and his two cronies are the balls. And uh, I don't know. It's just, it was really cleverly done. Yes, it was. And that's what I enjoyed about his writing. And that's what got me so invested in Guy Ritchie films and so part of it might be nostalgia because it was the first film but I mean when we rewatched everything I still had to say I was giddy as a little girl watching Snatch again I just love it well it's really good I didn't care for it the first time I saw it I really struggled with the accents I struggled to understand what they were saying for a very large percentage of the movie the first time and I don't know if I'm just like older and well it, it the British accent and plus you have the Welsh and the Pikes and there's someone else further north that yeah even the British can't understand them and you know there's such a dialect between the different cultures in England and so you know I grew up with a lot of English shows English mysteries so it wasn't hard for me but someone who isn't familiar I could see it being a little bit harder to adjust the hearing you know it's kind of like us trying to understand like deep Cajun accent yes like yeah mm-hmm. or anybody from like the Appalachians and yes stuff like that so yeah I yeah. compare it to that because you see those reality tv shows mm. very like true gator hunting and that's they have to have subtitles <laughs> yes for, for Americans <laughs> so I totally get that totally. yeah well I've got to go off of what Phoenix was saying with Snatch was fantastic that's why this one was a tough pick but I went with Lockstock. I rewatched. So before this podcast, I was able to find all of these movies minus The Man from Uncle and The Gentleman for free. Nice. I downloaded apps. I went on Xfinity on demand. <laughs> I found them all and I watched Lockstock, Snatch, Revolver, Rock and Rolla, The Man from Uncle, Sherlock. Didn't watch the second one. Mm hmm. Thursday night to today. <laughs> I'm ready for this podcast. We spread it out a little bit. Yeah, more. we did. It's been a while since I've seen I've seen all of these movies, minus yeah. what well, we'll talk about in the later on in the podcast, minus like Aladdin. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen them in such a long time, so I just wanted to get like a fresh start on this. So and what makes Lockstock stand out for you? People often talk about these two movies in the same breath, but Having just watched Lockstock for the first time and mm-hmm. rewatching Snatch recently, I feel like they're very different things. Like they both have a similar crime theme laced through, but I feel like they're very uh, different and kind of unique stories. What sets Lockstock apart for you? I think it had to do with the fact that so Lockstock is 1998, yeah, and that came out after all of these 
American crime and heist movies and stuff like that. So we were all oh, yeah. all really indoctored into like these really badass like Heat came out, Reservoir Dogs. True. I mean, you got Tarantino starting up in America, and then you get this guy from England that comes out with this just gritty, low budget shot. Yes. Movie <laughs> that really killed it like they did such a really good job with such a i have to assume a low budget compared mm-hmm. to everything else that was out well it was statham's first movie right it didn't even look like jason statham like at the end i'm like that guy really sounded like jason statham right yeah it's tough yeah and it was just written well it was written super like professionally but like gritty at the same time you felt like it was just four friends that were way over their head oh yeah which definitely they were, yeah. which they were yeah, you know more. what i mean they're not crime no not you know, at all like badasses like you would see like pacino and val kilmer running around in heist and heat excuse me maybe we should uh, set this one up a little bit more yeah uh, four friends they uh each come up with 25k a piece to get the one card shark friend into this big card game correct with a crime lord and then the crime lord uh has this system to uh, basically cheat he knows what's coming and he mm-hmm. uh takes a huge pot from the friend yep. and so he basically owns the friends and he holds all of their friends accountable i think he's angling to get the friend's dad's bar or correct like, yes there's mm-hmm. an asset that he wanted to get and he wanted to use this debt as leverage and so these four friends have a short amount of time to get all this cash and they're not criminals they're just yeah. four regular guys one was a small time thief one was a chef one right. was a derelict son of a bar owner. Um, and I think maybe that's one of the things that made the story so interesting was it wasn't these criminals. They were, they exactly. were, they were out of their depth. Oh, they yeah. were out of their depth. They're four friends that were pissed off at the one guy for oh, yeah. getting over at the card game because they were so sure of it. And he was so sure of himself mm-hmm. that they loaned him 25 grand each i want to say yep and to win this hundred thousand dollar you know uh, to win this hundred thousand dollar buy-in card game fucked it up did all this stuff and they just wrote it so well and like snatch they had that scene that phoenix was talking about how all the characters yes that's true culminate Mm -hmm. in how it all ties together is fantastic I just thought they just did such a great job. I was in all those action movies in the 90s and stuff where they did really well in action movies in the 90s. And then this came out and it was like, England can do it too. Yes, they can. can (laughs) They They can. Not that they haven't produced fantastic spy and detective movies prior to that. This was just a really, it felt Tarantino-esque kind of. True. I don't know. It just kind of felt that way to me. It was very Reservoir Dogs, but not in the backstabby kind of way that reservoir dogs was but it just had that gritty feel to it so that's why i enjoyed that's why i'm picking lockstock as my favorite you know thinking about yeah at lockstock i really enjoyed the last scene where the come in to try to um can't remember its name but the whole ending scene with killing the bad guy the crime lord hatchet harry hatchet harry Harry. and just how all the characters are revolving through that room after hatchet harry was killed and how that plays out and and vinnie jones is really good in the film but i know a lot of people don't realize but sting i mean he plays a great bar owner with a you know grungy type character and i was shocked when i saw sting in there (laughs) We were actually talking about that yeah. before you came into the room and we started recording. The reason Sting is in the movie, do you know? Yeah, he told me his he wife, okay. yeah, yeah helped 
Yeah, Guy Ritchie, his first video project was a short film that sets up Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. It's about how the four friends raised the money. Singh's wife saw the film and invested in Lock, Stock because of it. Yep. That's so cool. It is very cool. It's According to IMDb, I mean, I don't know. I think okay, it's You're really going to say no to Sting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Come on. But, I mean, you don't expect Sting. You do to, not know. Yeah, and so <laughs> when I first saw the film, I'm like, wait, is that Sting? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it is. Both of those movies do an awesome job of taking a diverse cast and just weaving together all these separate storylines in a very... I think that's like the signature Guy Ritchie thing. It taking is. Taking all of these different unique characters and somehow finding a way to weave everything in and tie everything up. He doesn't mm-hmm. leave anything hanging, and I really appreciate that. Absolutely. And the other thing that I think he does really well, and he does in all three films, is he has friends that are like brothers. And they get caught up in these things, situations, mm-hmm. and they somehow work themselves out. I mean, Rock and Rolla and uh, Lockstock have more of a bigger group of friends network working together. Where Snatch, you have individual friends working. That is true. Yeah. But, you know, it is, he does seem to put an emphasis on brothers or friends, you know. Mm-hmm. And we see that in other films, you know. He seems to put an emphasis on that type of you know with man from uncle they become more like brother friends in yep. the end in sherlock with watson and Holmes. so mm-hmm. but yeah you brought up rock and roller that was my favorite out of the crime movies i know you enjoyed that one <laughs> yeah it was uh i think it was the first one we watched getting ready for the show it was it? the first one we watched yeah it completely caught me off guard it's uh it's a kind of a different narrative structure than than either Snatch or Lockstock. And it's, mm-hmm. it's more of a linear story. It goes from, it progresses from beginning to end, and it doesn't have all these winding things coming together at the end. I'm not sure what grabbed me about this film so much. There was some incredible talent working on it. Tom Hardy, Venom, was in it. Yes. That was pretty awesome. That was. It had one of my favorite scenes in any Guy Ritchie movie. We'll talk about that. <laughs> we'll talk about that a bit later. <laughs> Uh, there's just there's some style and some grit to this movie that just really really pulled me in. And to talk a little bit more about the plot about it, um, Gerard Butler and Idris Elba open the movie by trying to get this land development deal done with the big bad guy, and he screws them over. And uh, I don't really know how it goes from there to the painting. I don't remember. Oh, he, the Russian had this painting that he loved, and he for some reason wanted to give it to. The, um, the crime lord is crime a token of goodwill. Goodwill. And so then things kind of, you know, fall apart at that point, you know. And the crime lord and this Russian are doing some big deal, and there's a big shipment of money going, and the crime lord's secretary tips off Gerard Butler and Idris Elba. Accountant. That, I'm sorry, yeah, his accountant tipped off Gerard Butler that this money was going to be shipped and that it wasn't going to be guarded, so... He goes and he robs it, and then they have to send another payment, and she tips him off again, and he goes and he robs it again, and uh, then some other stuff happens. And well, I mean, there's a lot of great scenes. I mean, the whole dancing scene between Jared Butler and um, Thayman Newton, you know, just talking about the upcoming heist, you know, they're dancing really funny, and it's just, he had to have subtitles at the bottom. I did like how they had the subtitles. Yeah. Like the music was so loud, <laughs> and they were doing that. Yeah, I like that. And then the whole thing with the Russian um, thugs after Gerald Butler, you know, the whole running away. And that scene. The, the subway. Yeah. 
Basically, the Russians sent two Terminators so after Gerard and Butler. Yeah, and then they catch up with him at the apartment, and you know they have him tied up, and then Mark Strong comes in, who's working for the crime lord, saves Gerald Butler. But, I mean, there's a lot of great scenes in that whole movie, and I can... I can see how you like it. It's a wild, crazy story from beginning to end. It's very quirky and it's got a lot of style. Very quirky. quirky I can see. Yeah. Way to describe it for sure. The comedy was really <laughs> yeah. well done in that. Movie it was. Too. It was yeah. fantastically done in that. Yeah. And they tell people to fuck off a lot, which I think is just amusing. Oh, that's a British yeah. thing. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it's a free country, isn't it? <laughs> it ain't a free store. Now fuck off. But yeah, I mean, um, Sorry, you're gonna have to do a lot of bleeps in this episode. Yeah. yeah, I just started bleeping the F word. Yeah, it's a new thing for OIO, so really, you are. Yeah, oh, I you know what drove me to do to do that. When I was listening to your last episode with the bleeps in there, I was like, I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna just spew off swear words. So Tom has to go, well, it's just one long beep. That's kind of interesting. That was a lot of f***s, dude. You're going to have a great time editing. I can't wait to just... When you listen to this again, I know you're going to go, <laughs> But, I mean, rock and roll is, I mean, a little different from Snatch and Lockstock. And I felt when I watched Lockstock, it was his starting point. Snatch, I think, in my opinion, built on Lockstock as far as the circle and the production value certainly oh yeah from the first film to the second so sometimes you can kind of see those kind of in the same boat but rock and roll is a slightly different type of storytelling that he did and it was more linear like you say so Mm -hmm. the one movie that we haven't talked about yet is revolver do we want to talk about i don't think either of us were blown away by this movie do you want to talk about any of the things that just didn't hit the mark for us a lot of it Honestly, it really did. It felt oddly put together. It didn't flow to me. It just didn't. Again, I, I described it as like a. It's not necessarily like a fever dream, but it's. That's a good very, way. To put it was it. very yeah. up, and it was. I found again. I watched this this weekend while I was having coffee. I found myself reaching <laughs> for my phone a lot. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. I was just kind of like, yeah. Eh. It's just kind of on in the background. Oh yeah, and that no, was a bummer. No. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I like his movies. I get it. Don't get me wrong. Everybody that makes movies and writes movies, when they write 10 plus, oh, yeah. nothing's going to be the biggest hit all the time. But this one just didn't sit well. It was kind of like I couldn't follow the story and then I forgot what was going on. If you don't pay attention to five minutes of that movie and you look away or go mm-hmm. grab a pop or something and come back, you could miss a lot. Oh, that yeah. They don't re-explain later. No, yeah. And so I found it uh, confusing. I'll give it another shot because that'll be my third time watching that movie because I want to understand it a little bit better. Or maybe I'll just read about it. I haven't decided yet. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be about the ego. And I don't think he did a very good job of trying to portray what he was trying to tell. I mean, he's... I guess Jason Strait, and they don't tell a lot of the backstory, so if you read about it, you understand why he was in jail, why he's pissed off at Ray Lilota, Dorothy. You know, it's just... There's a lot of pieces missing, and 
I think, I don't know if it was editing that really screwed it up. I was trying to figure out, was it the solitary confinement that f***ed him up so much? Is that why he was all goofy in the head? That's true, yeah. You know, because he was trying to act confident that nothing was happening to him this entire time. But then, like, he just started to Mm -hmm. break and stuff, you know. Yeah, it was a mind bender, but they didn't really explain explain the rules or what was happening. Like, I just... It didn't captivate you. Not as much. It confused me. Right. My favorite thing out of the whole movie has to be Dorothy. Ray Lalota. <laughs> if you have, you should watch the movie for his character. Standing in the, um, the tanning, tanning, tanning booth. Tanning just, room? <laughs> tanning room, yeah. room, basically. That was shot well. I liked the look of the cinematography yeah. in that. But, I mean, all the scenes with Ray Lalota, it's just, he was an interesting character and the way he's freaking out and stuff and you know and the stuff he wears you know it's just it was fun to see for him but yeah it's quite a mind bender and i just don't know if it's the writing or the editing or what kind of chopped made it confusing i love a good mind bender like shutter island is Arguably one of my favorite movies, and I can't wait to make you do a Leo episode with me so I can watch it again. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. But I just, I don't know, Revolver, it, I felt like it didn't explain everything, or they were just holes, so maybe it was editing. I mean, a lot can be down to editing, but I don't know, maybe the studio said this, you have to do it this way, and you know, it'd be interesting to know what his full script or idea was, That's but, very true. you know... Maybe he just didn't know exactly how to fully put it onto paper, maybe. Maybe, it, like you say, every director has one kind of, you yeah. know. It could have sounded really awesome on paper. Yeah. But then you put it on the film, film. and try to actually, like, live that. Yeah. I don't know. So. Was that the last film he did with Statham? Yes. Yes, yes it was. Yes, it was. And he had hair. Like, did they have a falling out over hair or what? <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. I do want to talk about that. <laughs> I texted you the other day saying, I'm really excited to talk about Jason Statham's hair. The floor is yours, my friend. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's terrible. It is bad, yeah. Because he like, he still looks like he's bald. It you know does, I mean? yeah, like, no. He still looks like he's bald. It doesn't, like, the wig didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. I'm sorry. It didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. No, I agree. I agree. Bald. He's yeah. Known for being bald. He is. Leave him bald. Leave him bald. <laughs> Just leave him bald. I was very offended. You heard it here first. Leave Jason Statham bald. Yes, we should bald. hashtag that. You can. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good hashtag. Yeah. Leave Statham bald. <laughs> quote me on that. Yes. I intend to. Thank you. <laughs> Before we move on to the next segment, do we want to talk about kind of our gold standard for crime movies and how some of these movies compare against it? For me, the gold standard is Departed. I love The Departed. It's my favorite like criminal movie of all time. And I would put these movies right on the same par with it. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I would have to say, uh, I mean, LA Confidential is my gold standard. It's such a well done, perfect crime film out there. It's just, and Russell Crowe is sort of new to the scene in ways, and Guy Pierce, those two characters through the whole movie. It's just, it's about dirty cops and the crime, and Russell Crowe gets caught up with the actress, and then Guy Pierce is trying to figure everything out, and you know they think each other are the dirty cops, and then in the end, it's the showdown, and it's 
perfect, well done. I just stumbled across it and I just loved it. I still have to share it with you. Um, yeah, you do. It's a little different from Snatch and Lockstock. It's it, probably a more serious tone where yeah. uh, the Guy Ritchie films can be a little bit more over the top. Like they're believable within the world, but there's a lot of like coincidence and circumstance that comes into play. But I mean, I would have to say his films kind of, his crime films do. I would rate them up high on a list of crime films. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I have to say Lily Confidential is way up there for me. How about you, Billy? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. That's that's one that I had to think about. You pose some good questions on here that really make you go, oh, man. <laughs> you know, like, it's in a good way because you really want to come up with a good answer. I went with Reservoir Dogs and Heat. I thought Heat was It's one of the coolest scenes in a heist crime type of movie when they're running through the streets with yeah. the AK-47s shooting at each other and stuff. It's so well filmed. It's so well done. Uh, Pacino, Kilmer, I mean, everybody in that movie is really, really good. And that's a, that one scene, too, in the diner is really... Oh, yeah. yeah it's incredible to watch. Plus, that <laughs> those actors just, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's one of the golden standards, I think, when it comes to like a crime movie yeah for sure you can go into mobster movies but that's more mobster yeah you know i agree I mean? yeah like i wanted to go that's kind of what like i was tiptoeing on reservoir dogs because that's like that's a crime one but you don't see a lot of the crime you see the inner workings of the characters themselves it's more of a character movie than it is a crime movie it's a betrayal backstabbing one at the yeah. same time so i put it in there as a gold standard because it's of the way it was written I guess you could see Reservoir Dogs similar too. Because it's all culminated around yeah. crime mm-hmm. and the diamond, uh, robbing the diamond place and yep. hiding from the cops and stuff like that. So yeah. that's why I put it in there. So, I, But I would I would put it as a golden standard because of, of the writing and Lockstock was written well, Snatch was written well, yes. Rock and Roll was written well. That's really where you get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can throw action for 90 minutes in the movie and make it a crime movie. True. But it ain't good, necessarily. Yeah. You You have to have a compelling story. You know what I mean? And good writing and good actors who can get those words out well and make you feel like it's a crime movie. And The Departed had Leo. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you, Billy. Yeah, you, you know, you can throw in have an action movie with just action but you really if you want it to have three-dimensional depth you really need a Mm well-rounded script Mm -hmm. well-rounded characters and actors who can bring them forth right yeah so that's why i put reservoir dogs in there heat just because it's just an all-around great movie Mm -hmm. and that's all about crime and heists and stuff like that reservoir dogs is because of a crime but it's written well in the characters who speak with each other throughout the entire thing and guy Ritchie really does that well with his characters tarantino's a good writer phenomenal yes he is i guess i have to say you know a lot of the next films that we're going to talk about he didn't quite write right where these films we all agree are very well put together well written and you know correct he is good at what he does you know yeah but when he can write it himself and, you know, he's a very good, excellent director, too. But we love these films because of his writing, mm-hmm. because of his characters, because of his dialogue. Yeah. And he has a very complex dialogue for characters. And you need people that can betray it, too. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. 
like Jason Statham. <laughs> well, Vinny Jones and Vinny Jones, yes, <laughs> Vinny Jones, fantastic. And then, um, I mean, you got to give chops to Brad Pitt for having to learn Pikey and oh, yeah. not understanding what he says. <laughs> Being American and learning Pikey, you got to give him credit for that. Yes, absolutely. And then the actor who played Bricktop, I can't remember his name. It's, uh, oh my God, I looked it up the other day yeah. to see what else he was doing. And I can't remember it. I'm going to have to eye and Yeah, and but he, I mean, him, his scenes talking about pigs and just boxing, he, you know, yeah, again. Yeah, he's a good gangster. He's a good gangster. He's insanely intimidating. Yes. <laughs> like scary intimidating. Like you are fucking scared by that guy. <laughs> you are. Uh, his name is Alan Ford. I know he's in Lockstock. He plays um the friend of friend Sting. of Sting. Yep. So. The other the dad wants to see. I him. think he was the narrator in Lockstock, wasn't he? Yes. Yes. So you are correct. But it's kind of cool to see him take on the role in Snatch, being the crime lord mm-hmm. that you just scared shitless of. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of carryover between the actors in the crime films too. There was, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. Huh. Good stuff. Guy Ritchie does some very good crime movies. Hey, lovers out there, grab your D20s because it's time for Tom Awesome's Charisma Check. Let's get it on. Let's get it on. For our next segment, we are going to bring back Charisma Check. We're going to talk about our favorite characters in a Guy Ritchie film. We may be jumping ahead a little bit. But for Charisma Check each month, we're each going to pick our favorite character and talk about why they stood out to us. Billy, who stood out to you? I chose two, but it's played by the same guy. So I think that counts. <laughs> That's true. Vinny That's Jones true. characters, Bullet Tooth Tony, and Big Chris from Snatch and Lockstock. He's a total badass that in both dude. movies. Yeah. It's damn near the same character. It is. Just minus like a couple of different like silver teeth in his mouth mm, and no true. kid in Snatch. True. But it's the same thing. And he does it so well. <laughs> he's <laughs> he does. such a badass. And he's hilarious at the same time. He is. I really his character both Bullet Tooth and Big Chris. Big Chris, especially when he's talking to his kid, and like his kid's like, F that. And he's like, Oi! <laughs> language! And he's yes. like this killer and murderer it's the funniest shit in the world his exchanges with his son in the movies are so well done Mm -hmm. so funny and bullet tooth the when they introduce bullet tooth and snap oh yeah so so well done and how they do it is it's him smashing a dude's head in a car door bam 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 kick kick while the cell phone in his car is ringing and then it's (laughs) phone rings he dives in picks it up Bonjour. It's so good. Well, one of my favorite scenes with Bullet to Tommy is, Tony is um the dog. The dog. <laughs> when he asks him to open up the dog, he's like, it's a dog. <laughs> it's not a can opener. I can't. <laughs> so, I mean, that was a great scene. That was good. And then we were talking earlier about the the scene when they're in the pub. Yes. And the three the three uh, guys come up to him with their guns loaded and he just kind of turns around, sits down and he notices that their gun says replica. Yep. But he goes in into a three and a half minute long. And when he, what is it? A monologue at that monologue. point? I would monologue, say, yeah. Uh, I guess it would be a monologue at yep. that point about how 
they're dicks and balls compared to pussies <laughs> and it all goes down and you don't know what's going on yep. and then it's like well my gun says desert eagle 5.50 and yours says replica down the side that's so well done it yeah, is so i agree with you and i guess also when he's shooting boris in the hallway <laughs> trying to kill him <laughs> it's just so those are that it is i'm taking two because it's played by vinnie jones both characters so that is my pick that's a good one sticking with it that's a good one fair enough feeny i was debating between turkish from snatch um jason stratham i don't think i said his last name right but i might lean towards him over sherlock I Turkish was a fun character because nothing seemed to phase him at all. He was even when um, what's his name, the uh, crime lord. I can't remember his name. It's in the movie. Hatchet Harry. Not Hatchet Harry. No, no. Bricktop. Bricktop. Thank you. Bricktop is trying to intimidate him. He doesn't really show it on his face. He stays cool, you know, and he's able to. They have an amazing scene to with exactly that happening in their uh, caravan where they're playing cards and Tommy's yes. freaking out because they're probably going to die the next day. And Tommy keeps asking all of these questions. Questions. And, and Jason Stevens like, well, then we're probably going to die. Well, what if this happens? Well, then we're going to die, die a little earlier. What if this happens? Well, then we're going to die before we leave the room. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed Turkish because of his character. He's sort of even keel through the whole thing. He's And also... His ability, um, Jason, through the movie, to be the narrator. It's fun hearing his thoughts and narrating the whole movie. And then uh, he has some clever scenes with dialogue. You know, in the end, I enjoyed the part where it seemed like even though he knew he was going to die, he didn't leave Mickey alone. He Mm -hmm. dragged Mickey out to try to save all three of them. So in ways, he had a heart of gold in a sense, but he knew they were doomed. But he at least... I'll take Mickey with us. He was doing right by his yes, friends. Doing, yes, his friends, you know, if they're in his circle, he'll take care of them. And that's what I liked about Turkish. And that's how he was through the whole film. He, he'll he take care of you if he sees you in your circle, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's what I liked about Turkish. Yeah, He was a very good character. I went with Colin Farrell's character in The Gentleman. <laughs> I probably should have looked up give, his name. You know, <laughs> I gotta give it to you for going the most brand new Guy Ritchie movie yes. out of every other movie. But I understand why. I love this character. He was <laughs> so funny. Colin Farrell is an amazing actor. I really enjoy he him. He is fantastic. Very good. He plays a trainer in The Gentleman, and he's got like he takes in these misfit boys and trains them in boxing and tries to uh, help keep them out of trouble, basically. Doesn't do a very good His name is job Coach. His name is Coach. All right, there great. Coach. Super easy. Thank you, Billy. <laughs> You're welcome. He ends up getting roped into helping the main character in The Gentleman when uh, his boys rob the wrong criminal and get caught doing it. So he gets, mm-hmm. he's basically in debt and he's just, the way he navigates a criminal world that he wants no part of, He very he wants to he assumes the blame for his boys because they're under his tutelage. Uh, so he stands up for their actions and is willing to pay, basically pay off their debts so that hopefully they don't all get murdered. And he's just very quirky and honorable and uh, very clutch in the movie. I mean, uh, Colin Farrell, I've loved anything he's been in. And also he was in Scrubs, but... Um... <laughs> 
Very true. The but handsome Irish guy. The handsome Irish. He was probably one of the one of my favorite characters from the new film, The Gentleman. His quirkiness, the way he was, the way he talked, and like you said, looking out for his group, his people. And you realize he kind of has a dark side to him because he knows how to take care of things, even though he just doesn't want to. Yeah, well, he's got this great line where he says, he's not a gangster, but he's had to do some gangster things, and that's yep. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, yep. it's fun to see him. Also, I'm never doing an Irish accent ever again for as long <laughs> as I live. They're so fun, though. Yes. <laughs> and I love Ireland too much to completely insult them by trying to do an act. I agree with you on Colin's character as coach in that movie. It was really, he was really funny, but yeah, the, the heart of gold thing was a, yeah, absolutely. It was a, and it was a pretty dark movie. Like there were some bad people doing oh, yeah. some bad things. So right. it was, he was a very kind of refreshing character in that. It setting, was true. Know? Yeah. Like, but he was an honorable man too, because he said, I'm in debt to you and I will pay you back. I will do this for you, but I'm only doing it this one time. And like he did the, was it the fourth time for free? That was on. I think so. I yeah, remember it was, mm-hmm. it was a few weeks ago that we watched that. But yeah, I believe you're right. Yeah. But I like that his character takes in the you know the troubled boys from the streets and gets them boxing, you know, and doing good work and stuff. I like that. That's that was a cool touch to the movie. And he gets them all sweet ass tracksuits, like the most. <laughs> we are finding those tracksuits. We, we should are buying those tracksuits. It's happening. They're like the most <laughs> modern should. retro vintage checkerboard argyle looking adidas sweatsuits but they're not were they adidas i don't think they were but they were badass you know for our patreon appreciation party we should all show up in track suits (laughs) you gotta get some thick ass glasses and a newsy hat so you can be coach yes you gotta do it (laughs) can i also if i may add an asterisk into this Sure. Can we give it up to Hugh Grant's character in The Gentleman? Oh, oh yeah. He was so good. <laughs> he was good. It was completely out of his depth of any other movie that he did. Yeah, I know. No. So he's this proper British gentleman. If not, he's working for the CIA or he's working for M, you know, M6. You know, and he's always this pish posh yes, Englishman. No. Other than this one, who's playing a blimey Cockney <laughs> accent, and he did it so well. I he thought did it was so great. So I, I just real quick had to jump in and say honorable oh, mention. Yeah, honorable mention. You Grant. Yeah, he. I I've always liked Hugh Grant, but yeah, he's always done romantic films, or he did, you know, like Man from Uncle was a little deviation from romance films, but, but he was still yeah Hugh Grant as Is somebody. He, Prim and proper, yeah. M6 or yeah. CIA. So it was fun to see him. Hugh Grant, yes. Very proper. Yes. <laughs> tie suits and everything like this. And this one, his Cockney accent was just great. I just thought it was hilarious. It was great. He was awesome. We'll dive into the gentleman a little bit later. Excellent. In addition to his original properties, Guy Ritchie has also worked on several popular licenses. He was married to Madonna when, he, when she starred in Swept Away, and he had his first blockbuster film with Sherlock Holmes, Running through the other properties he's worked on quickly, there was Swept Away in 2002, which a dude works on a cruise ship and gets marooned with a wealthy woman. Yeah, it's It's a remake of an old French film. uh, Yeah, it's a remake. Okay. And uh, widely panned as his worst film, none of the three of us watched it. I was hoping to, but yeah, we never got to it. Yeah, only so much time in the day. Yep. Uh, in 2009, he had his first true blockbuster with the original Sherlock Holmes film. Yep. Yep. Which follows Sherlock and Watson as they take on uh, Lord Blackwood. 
what I thought was interesting about this film was that they posed it, the villain as a very supernatural threat. Like, uh, magic was a big theme in it, and then it all ends up getting debunked. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's all just parlor tricks, basically. I thought that was a really interesting way that they approached Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're bringing in his viewpoint of science, you know. And, and at that time, there was a lot of um, supernatural. And if you know the history of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, he was actually doing a lot of that he would go to circles and do try to communicate to the other side so he kind of yeah he kind of was trying to dip his toes into that whole supernatural type world that's awesome i can't remember what triggered it that's what i'm trying to remember but okay following the original sherlock holmes sherlock holmes game of shadows came out in 2011 I didn't have a chance to watch this one leading up to the show again. You got through half of it last night, love. Yep. Did you watch it? And that's the one I couldn't find. Okay. Do you remember? I, mean, that? I could find it, but it was on HBO, and I don't have HBO. So uh, this one is where you have Moriarty in the scene. It's him and Sherlock uh, reckon. I can't say the reckon falls. Um, Reckoning. Uh, what's the falls name again? Um, oh, I can't remember where he falls. Where but, they go off the waterfall? Yeah, yeah. Uh, reckon back falls. But it's. That whole, the story is all about leading up to that point where Sherlock and Moriarty meet and fall off the waterfall. And so it's their interpretation of that story. And so you meet Moriarty, you see them interacting, and you actually meet Mycroft in that film as well. I hope we watch it again someday. (laughs) I do too, yeah, because I don't remember that one. It's been a while. In 2015, The Man from UNCLE came out, which was a movie adaptation of an old spy TV show. Yes. It starred Henry Cavill and Army Hammer and uh, Tomb Raider. What's her real name? Alicia Vikander? Can't remember. I'm sorry. Yes. (laughs) Something close to that. Yeah. Close enough. But basically, it's a spy film. Uh, Henry Cavill is an American spy. Army Hammer is a uh, KGB agent and they're forced to work together to uh, try to keep a nuclear bomb from delivered to being delivered to Nazis. Wonderful film. Yes. Yeah. Just watched it this morning. Great and film. <laughs> it's so good. It is. <laughs> so, both of those guys together. Oh, I know. Hilarious. Hilarious. They are great. So good. In 2017, King Arthur came out. We watched this a couple of years ago. It's a, it's a very magical take on King Arthur. I'm not it's, super familiar with the Arthurian legends. I watched it recently. Um, I don't know if you watched it again. Or... It's been a while, so yeah. you're going to have to remind me. It, it's hard to do a King Arthur story because it depends on your interpretation of the story. And they took it from that the sword itself is more magical, in which a lot of Aetherian legend, the sword Excalibur has a lot of magic to it. But they try to keep it in some sort of reality a little bit, so you kind of have some reality, but also mage. And so basically, King Arthur's father is killed by the brother through magic, and then uh, King Arthur is raised in a whorehouse and he's just views himself as peasant, you know, and I can't remember how he gets a house, but it, he gets kidnapped by these men who are trying to tell him to rise up and take possession of the sword and use it, but he just won't. 
Because every time he grabs it, he starts seeing what happened at the time when his father was killed. And so this mage is trying to help him accept the sword as one with him, which he finally does and then defeats his uncle and he becomes King Arthur. Mm. And the last scene is the uh, round table, him creating the round table. Oh, yes. It's been a while since I saw King Arthur. So that one I was I, like, just like uh, Game of Shadows that... It's a I'm, blank in my head right now. It's like very, very little pieces. Yeah. I mean, it's you can see Guy Ritchie's filming techniques in the film. Mm-hmm. I think he helped with the screenplay, but I can't remember for sure how much he did. But you can see the style of Guy Ritchie's directing in the film. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember it didn't really grab me. It's, you know, it's... A, uh, King Arthur stories are kind of hard for people to be grabbed by. You know, there's a lot of mythos, I think. I um, love King Arthur, so that bums me out that I can't remember. Yeah, I'm just going to ask you guys, do you remember any? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that... they touch on, was it, so with Excalibur being, so they go with the lady in the lake in this then? I think partly a little bit, but um, was the mage not quite. It's The sword is in the back of his father. His father becomes stone, and he has to pull it from okay. for his All father. Right. Sure. But, so the sword and the stone more. Yeah, in type in ways, okay. and it's in the, lake. In the lake. Yeah, me. but but yeah, I mean, it. I mean, there's. You know my favorite take on Arthurian legend. Which one? The librarians. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's true. Well, I mean, you got Sam Neill, Merlin. I don't know how many people remember Merlin, and um, there's the BBC show. But I mean, there's movies and shows out there, but mm-hmm. it can be tricky to do a, a good. I feel a good King Arthur story. One of my favorites is with Clive Owen, King Arthur, but that's right. Yep, I remember that one. That's pretty mm-hmm. decent. So I don't think I ever saw it. Yeah, it's by the guy who actually did Training Day, the director, who did Training Day. He did King Arthur. Interesting. So, yeah. More recently, Guy Ritchie directed Aladdin, the live-action remake of the beloved classic Disney animated film, starring Will Smith. Uh, basically retelling the same tale, only with real people and worse singing. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are in charge of this one. I haven't seen it, so I'm going to have to get uh, the synopsis from you. Obviously, I know how this movie ends. Yeah, basically so. same story. Little added pieces here and there. They make Jasmine more of a um, stronger, independent female. They take a very, very oh, they do. strong stance. With okay. her. There's a song about how strong she is. She is, yeah. Um, I, You know, it's... They're actually making Aladdin too. It's on his IB. Yeah, I saw that. That's unfortunate. Um, but I guess it's hard to say because if we show it to Daisy now, our little girl, she may fall in love with it because of the colors and the music and everything. And it, the tiger. Tigers are badass. Huh? Tigers are badass. It, it's hard to piece away nostalgia, but you do have to say that the cartoon version is so much... It's so perfect. I mean... It is. And one thing I want to dive into with the live action remake, Will Smith is the genie. He had an impossible task of oh, calling yeah. Robin Williams. Yeah. It felt bad for the I understand people no, I don't understand people mad <laughs> and being like blah, 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 blah. Like I get it. You want to be nest- and it's tough to Oh yeah. Robin Williams. That it is great. It's like that's Heath Ledger we following up Jack Nicholson as the Joker. But he did do it. But he did do a really good job. (laughs) Yeah, and so did Will Smith. Yeah. His singing, I was surprised his singing wasn't great. He doesn't have a great voice. I guess maybe that's why he was a rapper. His character as the genie was phenomenal. Like, he was every bit as charismatic as Robin Williams. He was. 
as the genie, but he was also his own thing, and they took it in a different direction. He was uh, uh, a word you like to use for Feeney is flamboyant. Like he's he just- was, yeah, that's what I enjoyed about Will Smith because you see him as these tough guys, you know, being the crap out of people, and all of a sudden you see him this flamboyant, just out there, like, oh, this dress would work beautifully. You know, it's just like, oh, Will Smith can do it. You mm-hmm. know, and it can surprise you, and. You know, it's just kind of like you have to look at it this way with Aladdin. Jurassic Park as the book is a really good book. Great. Jurassic Park as a movie is a perfect movie, but they're not the same, you know. But they have similar mm-hmm. storylines. And so I think we kind of have to do that with Aladdin, you know. It's hard to let that It is because go. Robin Williams was perfect. And I know the one song you hated, they changed the song. Um Street rat. Yeah, Aladdin wasn't as good a singer either. I know that, but you mentioned you just didn't like how they changed yeah, Street Rat. Yeah, tempo was a little off, and it just it just felt that whole song felt off to me. And it's like the introduction to Aladdin, the character of yeah. Aladdin. Yeah. So I mean, we just I think we have to view it that way. You know, they're both very good on their own, but we can't think of them as the same. That's sure. the thing. So okay. Enjoy them as they are, as their own separate entity. So what? Are, here's my question to you two. So what are you going to show Daisy first? Cartoon. Probably cartoon. Okay, good. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think cartoon, you know, because it's our favorite and nostalgia and Robin Williams. And we're the parents, so we're the bosses, so we can do what we want. <laughs> do, 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 do. That's right. You just sit her down in front of the TV and she'll <laughs> watch whatever the hell you're going to put on. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. That's fair. It is on Disney Plus now? I believe so. I can't. Yeah, I think we watched it through Disney Plus. Okay, yeah, I have so. Disney Plus, so I'll give yeah. it a watch then. Okay. Batman cartoons first before Spider Man. You said we. <laughs> if you want me to narrate what's going on right now, guys, they're staring <laughs> each other right. They're staring each other down right now. Honey, that is a big grenade you just lobbed. I know. Well, I just had to try to introduce her to Batman first before Spider-Man. You have introduced her to Batman. She I does know. Batman voice. I know she does Batman voice. Daisy, who's on your pajamas? Batman. 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 Yeah. That's so great. She's a pretty rad little girl. She really is. So it's kind of a wide breadth of different licenses that he's worked on. I thought we could each pick one that kind of stood out to us and talk about why it was so iconic to us. Now, you two are on the same page, so I'm going to kick this one off. I loved The Man from Uncle, and I think what made this film for me was Henry Cavill. Like, I don't necessarily think he's a great actor. I think he's fine as Superman. Like, I don't think he makes Superman. I don't think he's bad as Superman. But in this film, like, he is just perfect. He is a charismatic, womanizing spy. And, like, he is, like... James Bond. James Bond. Yes, he is. Yeah, that's true. American James Bond. American James Bond. Played by an English actor. Yep. I, I mean, I enjoyed Henry as well. I liked him a lot in the beginning of the film, but as you see Arnie more and more through the film, I tend to start liking Arnie more. But again, it's just he did a great job of uh, bringing two characters together, making them somewhat pseudo-friends, even though they're competing agents from different countries. But you see the camaraderie that he has in bringing people together and working together. And the tension they build up between those two characters at the end of the film yes. is just phenomenal. And I don't so want to like, spoil how it happened or the big twist at the end. Not that there's a twist at the end. But just this whole movie, 
from a TV show that was like this campy spy show. We watched some. We haven't seen a full episode, but we were watching some clips. Yeah. Online and it like it seemed pretty hokey, <laughs> and um, they gave it a more serious edge with this film. I mean, it was still lighthearted and fun, but like it was also it still took itself seriously within the confines of the movie. It did. I mean, it's just it was. Um, it's very well done. He did an incredible job with it, and the actors did an incredible job. And I really enjoyed. A lot of, yeah, like you talked about, um, the scenes where they're kind of competing against each other, you know, Russian technology versus American technology. And it was kind of fun to see the differences between the two countries as far as the technology they had. Right. I like how they both get their own comeuppance at times, too. Yes, they do. Yeah. One will upstage the other, as you were both saying. It's hilarious. Like when Henry Cavill's cutting the fence with the little pliers. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And then um, Army Hammer. Army Hammer. He's got just this laser cutter. <laughs> just goes right real quick through it. But then you get him, Army Hammer, driving the speedboat, and Henry Cavill falls off, and then just hops up in a truck, opens a bottle of wine, yep. all while in the background, the You're guns are firing on the, on the speedboat. I laughed the entire time there. And then it's just, hmm, he finds the sandwich. Ooh, this is good. Oh, bites the sandwich takes a swig and all of a sudden in the background the speedboat explodes and he's like starts up the truck and he takes off to go save him so yes that's a good pick yeah I mean Man from Uncle is kind of way up there for me with Guy Ritchie films you know I love his crime films but I mean he did such a beautiful job with Man from Uncle it's just it's hard not to love the movie I just enjoyed it and they set it up for a second film. Why is there no second man from Uncle? I, I was wondering that myself. Well, it was only, what, five years ago? Yeah, about five years. So. And he came out with The Gentleman, so I bet you he had was writing The Gentleman around the time he directed The Man from Uncle, so I bet you that's going to come out next. I think that's going to be the next thing from Guy Ritchie is The Next Man from Uncle. I hope so. I want it. I know he has a new movie. I think they filmed it. They're in the editing process. It's a new crime film, too, called Crash Kings, I think. But it takes place in L.A., so we'll see. We'll see. One of the things that um, carries across all of these other IP movies is they're very funny. I love the sense of humor across (laughs) all of these films. Like, it's just... And Man from Uncle is like a funny, funny movie. The crime movies, there are more kind of uh, happenstantial, funny things interspersed throughout. Mm-hmm. But they're just, I think they're so funny. And he does a great job with his humor. He does. Absolutely. Beanie? Ooh, uh, which one of these <laughs> movies stands out to you? <laughs> I, I know the answer. Well, I was debating between Man from Uncle. It was a really hard choice. But when I was thinking of it from the standpoint of just seeing the films as just films not thinking of back information of things before that i really enjoyed sherlock holmes as just a film if you see it as just a film and not think about other things because i love how rdj portrayed sherlock and showing his ability to jump out a window put on a disguise grabbing things to figure out stuff and how he still holds things close to his chest like the books do. You don't really know what, what he's figuring things out until the end of the book. And they kind of do that. Guy Ritchie does that with this film with Sherlock. He stays true to the sense of keeping all the information sort of close to his chest. He does give a little information here and there. But but the thing I absolutely do love is RDJ, Robert Downey Jr., and Jude Law together. 
I just, to me, they bring just perfect brothers who are friends and their chemistry together is just perfect. And it's just a delightful film with great humor and just great scenes of with Robert Downey Jr. confronting people and then jumping out of the window into the river and just, I think it's just beautifully put together. I think I had to choose that over Man From U.N.C.L.E. because of what the film was able to accomplish with just these characters. Again, not thinking about previous works from the other shows and books and stuff. Billy Sherlock was also your choice. What made it stand out for you? I'm with your wife on that one, man. Yeah, but I was a, I, I will go with the fact that I completely understand why you chose Man From U.N.C.L.E. Yeah, I get it. It's a great movie. But Sherlock stood out more to me. The way it was filmed was fantastic. The camera work, the cinematography in Sherlock is just really well done at the same time as the acting and the storyline mm-hmm. and everything. And I believe that there, we have a segment later where we'll go more into detail about it. But as Phoenix was saying, how they, how they, you see a scene happen and then 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, they go back into it and they see the behind the scenes of what Robert Downey Jr. did to get to said scene yep. and the way he did it. And then like when they go into when he's in the like uh, that bare knuckle fight at the beginning of the movie when he's explaining the hits that he's going to do on the fight. Yeah. Hit him in the jaw, hit him in the solar plex. Kick mm-hmm. him. And they show that in slow motion and then they do it in real time a minute later afterwards. So, yeah. And yeah. again, like, yeah, Robert Downey and Jude Law are phenomenal. They are That's just a crew. They are. They're so funny together. They are. Like, they battle each other so much, but they love each, each other so much. They're like brothers. They kick and fight and pull each other's hair, but they love each other too yeah, much. Like, you can tell that yeah. he is sad that he's met, you know, mm-hmm. Watson is moving out. But they don't want to say it to each other. Yeah, they don't. They don't want to say it to each other. <laughs> yeah. They care. So, yeah. No. So it stood out to me, yeah, a little bit more than the man from uncle dead for sure they are so good at portraying relationships in guy Ritchie films the watson and holmes is a great relationship uh the spies and the man from uncle mm-hmm. tommy and turkish in snacks like he's yeah. so good with the relationship building between characters i wonder yeah. if that is the direction if that's writing if that's good acting like how how does he capture that magic so well that's a very good question yeah. Now you like to imagine that these people are actually friends in real life. Yeah, I do. You really do. You want to know that like Gerard Butler and Idris Elba hang out all the time yeah. because they're so well done with each other. Dude, I would movie. hang with those guys. That'd be awesome. <laughs> the handsomest yeah. meat sandwich ever. You yes. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. You, want, you, you believe them. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You believe they're everyday men and the movies we were talking about in prior and saying that we believe them that makes me feel like it's on the actors well no i will have to say this i i'll i not many people have seen probably jeremy brett with sherlock holmes i he is a lot of people will see him as the best portrayal of sherlock holmes he was done he did pbs sherlock holmes in the 90s and he's an incredible actor but they always had different directors and there's three episodes where it's just crap. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just his acting is wooden. Everything is just really poorly done. And so 
it makes you think, okay, directing does play a bit of a role in directing these situations. That's one of the examples I can bring up is that actors bring a lot to the table. But I mean, actors are only seeing their character where directors have to see all the characters and mm-hmm. bring it all together into a perfect picture. Yep. So, so I think, yes, Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law probably had great chemistry, but I guess Guy Ritchie had to visualize it completely to make it even more perfect from what it was, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, that's a great perspective. Thank you. That is very much. Absolutely. It's a big team effort. Yeah. Team effort. Yeah. If we could have Guy Ritchie tackle any, any license or intellectual property, what would you have him tackle Billy? An oceans movie. It would be a very be awesome. Oceans movie, wouldn't it? I really think that would be fun. I, because the Oceans movies are great already. That's so great. adding him as a director or a writer into it, I think would be a fantastic movie. I didn't even think of that, and that would be awesome. Because you've got a group of people working together to yeah, crime. True. And the stories all tie in together at the end, and you can yeah. see why they do it. True. It's like Guy Ritchie to a T at that point. It is, I mean? yeah, so definitely. I think that would be a fun one to see him do. Yeah. Interesting. What about you, Feeney? I had to choose two because I thought of the first one first, and then I thought, wait a minute, this would be cool too. But <laughs> I thought Cowboy Bebop would be really fascinating for him to do because like live action or live action anime? doing. I know that we have a director and already filming stuff, but I feel like if Guy Ritchie had the project and did a live action. Because, you know, you have a group of people who've come together at different points, but they've built the friendship together. Mm-hmm. He does action scenes so well and fight scenes so well that I think he could take on Spike's fighting ability mm-hmm. and show it the That's way it should. Interesting one. Yeah. And it, the, it took a spin on that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and there is humor in Cowboy Bebop. And I think Guy Ritchie would yeah. bring in that humor you know, if he could write it and direct it, I think he would do a gritty, comical, action, mm-hmm. live cowboy bebop that I think would be really awesome. And then after I wrote that, I was like, wait, Dresden, the books Dresden would be really fascinating because Dresden, the series, if has great humor, dialogue, internal narrative, and it'd be kind of, and it's gritty, and that's guy Ritchie's strength so it'd be kind of interesting for him to take on dresden as a live action or he's live anyways but doing a uh, dresden story on film those are two really awesome ideas i really like the cowboy bebop yeah that one kind of piqued my interest okay i think he would do a fantastic interesting like yeah that's a yeah i think he would do a great job I thought it would be interesting to see him tackle the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I loved this when I read that. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that would be so freaking that cool. That would be I mean, really it would cool. It would be quirky. It would be very stylish. Like, I think I think he could do an amazing comic book style movie. You know the um, live action one he should do is the Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That would be awesome. Do that live action version would we be awesome. you two in Hollywood right now. <laughs> poking people and being like hey hey why don't you try this out hey here's a good idea hey here's a good idea hey hey listen to my podcast yeah support us on patreon you know i just realized the actress who's in the gentleman she might actually play a good fae matthew mcconaughey's wife yes okay all right yeah Yeah, 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 she would probably make a great fae 
you know. Yes, you would. You know. All right, I dig it. Yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Though, yeah. Guys, these were great choices. I think so. Great choices. <laughs> I like the oceans. It would have been fun to see his take on those. I think it would be fun. Mm-hmm. It's, they're already well done. They are. But I think just like another director, writer on that. Yeah. It would just be a fun little spin to it. It would be. Hopefully, he never stops making movies. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> you know... One of my friends actually was in a work accident. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, he's dealing with a lot of pain right now. You guys know anybody that could help out by any chance? We do. You should tell him to call Premier Health. Premier Health has solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident and work injuries, and more. We suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. I like that. Thanks a lot. I will. And while we're thanking people, I would like to thank our Patreon supporters for <laughs> freeing the shackles that bind me. You're welcome. For July's Game Pass Forever game, my benevolent overlords on Patreon chose Gears Tactics, a tactical strategy game set in the Gears universe. I'm a big fan of both XCOM and Gears of War, so this was a perfect fit for me. We are recording on July 11th, so I haven't been able to put much time into the game. I'm only about three and a half hours in, but my early impressions are very, very favorable. You start with two characters who are separated from the rest of the military. The main character is apparently some sort of badass leader who demoted himself down a motor pool, which, do you guys know what a motor pool is? I had to look this up. It's like That's a freeway, isn't it? No, it's a pool of vehicles that are available for whoever to use, like in a military situation. Huh. Oh. Yeah, it's just like... A parking lot on army base where you get someone to drive you around, I guess. Okay, so. Interesting. It's a term I wasn't familiar with. Never heard of it. I just took a stay on the dark. (laughs) So on your second mission, you unlock a couple more characters. So you get new classes. So now you have a four-man squad. Mm. Each class has a skill tree that you can customize in four different ways. For instance, one of the first characters you get gets an intimidate skill that will interrupt enemy actions and force enemies out of cover. Like, Gears of War is all about cover. Like, you'll run and hide behind some blocks and you'll shoot at some monsters who are also trying to hide behind blocks. And it's all about positioning to try to get into a flanking position and blasting them where they're not covered up. Uh, you can customize your gear and, like, you make your guns more accurate and become more resistant to damage and stuff. Uh, there are gear crates scattered across the map through two missions. I've learned that the maps are huge, and each mission has several different segments to it. Like, you'll start out on this huge map, but you're only in this little corner of it at first. And then you'll beat all the bad guys there, and you got to run over here. And something else will trigger, and some more bad guys will pop up, and you got to fight them over here. And then you got to run over and touch this button over here. And it's uh, I thought the pacing for the stages was really interesting early on. I haven't spent a lot of time with it, but this game has potential to be my game of the year for this year. Like, I, really? I have enjoyed it. Really? Over... Final Fantasy fourteen. Final Fantasy fourteen didn't come out this year. I would take Final Fantasy fourteen over this <laughs> game a million times to one. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, but it is really good so far. What I need to see from this game is I need to see more enemy types that are pretty pretty basic through the first two missions, and I need the story to not be awful. Like it looks beautiful. Like it's incredibly well animated. Everything looks awesome, but like. I don't know if I'm going to be able to tolerate the main character. Like he's got yeah. a, he's just he's got kind of a douchey haircut with a rogue stripe in his hair. Which uh, for the guy who's going gray, maybe I should be a little bit more tolerant of a loss of pigment. Going gray, there's nothing yeah. wrong with the salt and pepper no. look. It's all good. Oh, it's all good. Uh, there's a lot of potential to this game, though. Like it is one of the coolest things I've played, definitely this year. 
And a game that I am super excited about. Billy, have you played any XCOM types games? Never. No. Uh, well, I, no. Did I? Damn it. I don't think I have. No. But I did play uh, Gears of War. So I'm familiar with Gears of War, but XCOM, no. Yeah, you still have the Lancer from Gears of War. You're like, you can run up and chainsaw dudes. One of the guys has a bayonet on his Lancer, so he can stab dudes with it. And it's just, it's a, it's an awesome mashup. It's, it leans really heavy into the XCOM formula. Like, it feels very, very XCOM-y. Okay. Which doesn't mean a lot to you two, but it's a game I liked quite a bit, and there was quite an audience for it. There's a board game, right? XCOM. There is an XCOM board game. But it looks super complicated, and it's Fantasy Flight, so it's probably got a billion, million pieces. pieces to it. So Hooray. I'm sure it is awesome, and I remember reading reviews that said it was really cool, but I don't know if I have the heart to Try. buy that game and just have it sit on our shelf for a yeah. long time while no. I learn to play. I get things. that, yeah. So Gears Tactics has been awesome. I intend to write my more complete impressions of it closer to the end of the month. The next game up, thanks to my Patreon supporters voting, is Yakuza Kiwami. I am so excited. Yakuza is an action-adventure franchise that takes place among the underworld of Japan. Uh, The Yakuza is a criminal organization. It's a franchise that I've been intrigued by for some time, and I am very excited to jump into it next month. I have never played a Yakuza game. I know that Bernsey likes them a lot, and uh, it was actually his suggestion that I put it on the list, and... We'll see how deep I get into it. I was just going to say, this is what he was talking about in your latest podcast, right? The board game podcast? Yep, it was. Very nice. He's a big Yakuza supporter. Millie, you're one of our supporters on Patreon. What did you vote for this month? <laughs> I went randomizer, as always, because I like to see you suffer, and I like to get my money's worth. <laughs> oh, my God. The Nobody randomizer else. this month was Munchkin Quackers Quest. I like Munchkin games. I play those with my sister. So that's why I voted for that one. But I also thought that uh, Joey had such a compelling story to tell about Yakuza that I was like, I kind of actually do want to see this. So I'm glad you're actually going with this. They actually have a Munchkin. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't aware that it existed. I don't. It's not a straight adaptation of Munchkin okay. the board game. It's uh, it's like a Munchkin themed something. I know very oh, little it's not. about it. I'm sorry. I thought it was. I, well, I wasn't sure. Yeah. I think the art and the uh, things in it, like I'm willing to bet you fight a gazebo and that you must face the gazebo alone. I hope so. Yeah, that's about all I know about it, and I'm thankful that I don't have to play it. Thank you, Patreon supporters. <laughs> You're welcome. I am looking forward to hearing about Yakuza, though. So that was my second. I got to vote. I voted twice. So okay. yeah. Thank you so much to all of our supporters on Patreon. If you are interested in supporting Outside is Overrated, you can back us on Patreon for as little as $2 a month. Check it out at patreon.com slash O-I-O. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Patreon.com slash O-I-O. And if you join us as a $10 supporter, you get an extra podcast. You get Tom and Joey unfiltered every single month. Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. Earlier this year, just a couple of months ago, The Gentleman released. It's a strange time for movies right now. Yeah, it is. With the pandemic, uh, movie theaters are closed. So we had this idea for a show a while ago. We knew this movie was coming out. It was kind of the catalyst for it. Uh, it worked out really well for us. We just rented on Redbox. It yeah. cost us like six bucks. We got all of us together for the first like public gathering we've had since yes. COVID started. And I don't know, worked out pretty slick. It did. It did. It was nice mm-hmm. seeing you guys. It was yeah, good it was. Out of the house and just watching a movie. It was. Yeah. We want to dive deep into our impressions here to kind of recap the story. Matthew McConaughey is an American drug lord in Britain. He specializes in selling weed. He's got a big operation. He's looking at selling his entire empire and going into retirement. 
Hugh Grant is a central character in this film. He is a private detective who investigated McConaughey and ends up trying to blackmail the Kingpin. The story is told from Hugh's perspective as he relays what he knows to McConaughey's top lieutenant. So Hugh Grant is the narrator in the film, and they do some really interesting things with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, McConaughey is showing off his organization to a potential buyer. He gets robbed, and so the new buyer is trying to lowball him. This causes a war to break out between McConaughey and a rival drug lord who he thinks is responsible, and uh, bodies start falling kind of all over the place here, and it winds up... It's kind of a complex end. I don't know how much I want to dive into what happened. Like, how much more can we give away without it being a complete spoiler? Oh, we don't want to give spoilers away? It's still a pretty new movie. I wonder if we should avoid the spoilers. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, If you're worried about the gentleman being spoiled for you, this is a good time to turn (laughs) off the show. Fair warning, we might slip something out, so... There's key points to the movie in this discussion. Ultimately, McConaughey is uh, trying to find out... Clearly, someone is trying to sabotage his sale, and so it's almost a mystery from his perspective as he's trying to dig into all the potential players and try to figure out who's threatening his business and eradicate that threat while maintaining his spot at the top of the food chain. That's very well said. Yes, it is. (laughs) A lot of other stuff that happens. (laughs) This movie would fall into the crime category. How do they compare with the other crime movies that Guy Ritchie has done? I mean, it's similar. Um, I think it would be more like rock and roller where it's more linear, but it also has somewhat of a circle because it's being told from the perspective of Hugh Grant. So I guess it's a combination in ways, but it's linear with a slight circle. But I would agree that it's a more linear story, but what I think makes the narrative so interesting for me is that Hugh Grant is an unreliable narrator. Yes, that's true. It's kind of like we talked about with uh, Cloud Strife as the narrator in Final Fantasy VII. Like, he's unreliable. Like, his head's falling apart. Well, Hugh Grant has a very slanted perspective on the whole thing, and he's uh, he's trying to make some money and save his own skin at the same time. Right. Um, I think... For me, that was one of the most interesting things about the film was just how they delivered the story. Like, there'd be a flashback, and then you'd be in the present, and then you'd be in the future a little bit. And they just, I thought it was really interesting how they handled the narrative structure for the film. Yeah, because he was narrating, but talking to Charlie Dunham. Charlie Dunham? Hannum. Hannum? 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 Starts with an A. Yeah. The guy from. King Arthur. King Arthur and. Undeclared. Sons Undeclared. Of yeah, and Sons. Charlie. <laughs> but yeah it's it's a narration within the movie it's not to us it's him explaining it to another character in the movie i thought that was pretty well done i like that I, is he selling it as a screenplay he was selling it to he get money a, but he had a screenplay in the scene that's right to yeah. if he was turning this into an actual thing that they could pitch as i think he was trying to make as much money as possible and so blackmail he had, at the same yeah, time he was trying to blackmail um McConaughey's character, yeah. while he also had the screenplay as another yeah. arrow in the quiver. Correct. I mean, the narrative was very fascinating, different from his usual narratives. Like you say, Hugh Grant is telling it, and there's jumping around. And actually, I'm thinking about it now. I don't know if Colin Farrell was really part of Hugh Grant's narrative at all. So that was a piece that was outside of the main narrative that yeah. we got to see. And that was a, another really interesting thing that they handled because sometimes Hugh Grant would be just a little bit off and then Charlie would correct him or you'd see what actually 
happened. happened in a given moment. Right. Yeah. Would you watch this movie and say this was a Guy Ritchie movie? Like, if you didn't know who the director was, could you pick this out? Not no. necessarily, no. I think that's the big, not even an issue. No. It's a well-done movie. It is. It's not, so it's not an issue that you can't be like, because you can watch Rock rock and Roll and then you can yep. watch Snatch and you can be like, yeah, that's a Guy Ritchie, Ritchie film. Yeah. It makes sense. The way it's filmed, the way it's written, the way the dialogue is. This one was more of a... I don't know. Like how you guys were saying, it's a linear movie. It's a very, yeah, that's a, it's a really well done one. But I don't know. Something about it was, it just didn't have that same feel. Because a lot of Guy Ritchie movies did. Yeah. Kind of like Revolver. Revolver was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Is this? <laughs> no, I just have a completely different opinion about that. Yeah. As you heard beforehand. But it didn't feel like one of his movies, if that makes sense. That's what I was talking with Tom. It was like, it didn't, feel like it because you don't have a circle you don't have a camaraderie in a sense relationship that a lot of the other movies did it didn't have the holmes watson it didn't have the uh turkish tommy relationship like mcconaughey is close with this top lieutenant but it's very clearly an employee employee yeah 100 relationship like i think they were trying to get this like the companionship more in hugh grant and charlie in ways, but I didn't but know how of, they like, knew. He wanted the companionship yeah. with him, and he was keeping him at a distance. Yeah, because he was protecting his boss. So, but I guess the thing that you brought up, which I kept thinking about, is like the story is basically telling Matthew McConaughey is the king of the jungle, and that's the point of the whole film. Correct. And thinking about that, it's like you are correct. The whole film is just showing that Matthew McConaughey is the king of the jungle, you know, and his wife is basically almost too. It's similar to his roots, but it's like he stepped out of his roots a little bit to try to do something a little different. Yeah, And that just may have been what it was. Yeah. He's just doing something different. Kind of like what he did with all of his other, you know, with a couple of other movies and stuff. Yeah. It just do, you know, it's tough to do this. It's kind of like a Quentin Tarantino going in a direction of, you know, you go Reservoir Dogs and then you go like Django Unchained. You know True, I mean? yeah. So a very, very different movie, but, you know, yeah. Quentin Tarantino movie. It was done well. But then The Hateful Eight kind of shrugged my shoulders at that one. It wasn't my favorite, but it was a well-done movie. Just like The Gentleman wasn't my favorite, but it was a well-done movie. I liked it a lot. I thought it was interesting in The Gentleman that... Again, if you're worried about spoilers for the gentleman, this is a good time to check out. <laughs> but uh, the bad guy wins. Like Matthew McConaughey reta- retains his spot at the top of the food chain, and that's kind of that kind of breaks from a lot of other guy Richie films. In ways, I guess you know. I mean, the small time crooks sort of make out okay in his films. You know, Hatchet Harry died. Yeah, um, well, the big died. guys. Yeah. yeah, the big guys do die, but. I guess the only thing that really can stand out as a Guy Ritchie film is the dialogue. Yes. I mean, you know it's a Guy Ritchie film because of the dialogue. Yep. The way he writes it. It doesn't have the same camaraderie of um, characters together, except for maybe Colin Farrell and his... His boys. His boys, but... Yeah, I mean, in the end, it's mostly the dialogue Mm -hmm. is what you can really tell it's a Guy Ritchie film. It's a really... Well put together film. It's oh, I enjoyed it. I'll watch I, it again. Yeah, it's, absolutely. I would watch it again, and I enjoyed it. And uh, 
you know, it's just, it's different and it's good to have different films. You don't want the same type of film from the same director constantly. Yes. So hundred percent agree. Yeah. So, yeah, I liked it a lot. I think it's a terrific film and I mm-hmm. really, really recommend it. Yep. Go rent it. You, yes. Yes. So if you were avoiding the spoilers, come back now. <laughs> <laughs> Can they figure that out? You'll have to timestamp no. that for them. Yeah. I timestamp them all. For our top five today, we are going to discuss the top five scenes from Guy Ritchie films. It's time now for... Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Maybe this is a little heavy on Guy Ritchie stuff, but it's a Guy Ritchie show. Like maybe yeah. some of the smaller segments gonna broke stuff up, but we've come too far to stop now. Yep. We're committed. Stopping. That's what this episode is about. <laughs> Number five comes from the gentleman. There are a couple of scenes that I thought of from this film, but the one I went with is uh, Charlie Hunnam and <laughs> Hugh Grant. Yes, at an outdoor barbecue. Like they're at in Charlie's house. And uh, they're about midway through the movie, and uh, he stops to admire the barbecue that Charlie has at his house. It's this big, elaborate thing. You can cook your meat up on top, and it'll keep your legs warm, too. And uh, Charlie says, well, you can have it if you f*** off now. (laughs) Take it with you. (laughs) It's just, uh, and the movie can be a little heavy. There's a lot of violence and bad stuff going on. It was just a little moment of levity that I just really... Enjoyed it. It was really funny. Well, especially when he burns his fingers on the barbecue. Yes. <laughs> I can't yeah. remember what he says. But... Hugh Grant says, oh, f*** me. Yeah. Charlie <laughs> says, it's hot. It's hot. it's hot. I guess that's one, I guess, going back to the gentleman. I don't know what your guys' opinion is of Charlie's character. I didn't find him as strong as of a character. I couldn't figure out his character. Yeah, that was my hard like, was thing. He, was he gay? Was he really germophobic i don't know if that germophobic uh clean you know yeah because he kept telling him to take your shoes off when you go inside his place was very pristine so it was like almost like ocd in a way Mm -hmm. that i couldn't figure out but he was also like this deranged killer if he had to be because he whip out the gun and the kids and shoot it in the air Mm -hmm. and stuff and they wouldn't give him the cell phone i guess that's one thing that i guess i have to realize like with guy Ritchie films i assume the character is going to be this macho badass right where charlie I was expecting it to come out, and it didn't come out as yeah, much. like tiny little thing. Yeah, just very out. tiny, but he was acting like he's supposed to be this badass bodyguard, but right. it didn't come through mm-hmm. as much as I had hoped. Right. And so, sorry to deviate, but that's, I wanted to ask mm-hmm. what yeah. your guys' opinion was of his character. Yeah, I think it was, uh, yeah, for me, it was hard to figure out. It was, yeah. He did a good job, but I didn't really get his character. Yeah. I thought it was one of the weaker elements of the film. Like, uh-huh. he was there. Yeah. That's about it. No, that's what I felt, too. Yeah. So, okay. Coming back to the top five, number four. Get your fingers out of my stew. I just thought that was a funny line. <laughs> Lockstock. Lock Oi! Get your filthy fingers out of my stew. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I just thought I love that whole scene when they're trying to, con- they're asking him for the 25 grand in the kitchen. That's right. Yeah. And no, it's good. Maybe a piece of shit criminal and stuff like that, but he really takes his cooking seriously. He does. Yeah. yeah. I respect the man for that. So I thought that was a great scene. In it movie. was. He also made the point that, or the narrator made the point that he's the only one who made his 25K legitimately. Legitimately yes. with the job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a great scene. So it set up his character introducing him into the group really well mm-hmm. and just that 
really close up shot pointing <laughs> get your finger on it yeah filthy fingers on mice too yeah so that's what i'm going with i don't need to go into more detail because that pretty much says it all oh it does yep <laughs> number three the bare knuckle fighting in sherlock holmes this uh well, we talked about this earlier but it's just really phenomenally well done how yeah they yep. show how sherlock is processing the fight and then they play it out mm-hmm. well i would have to say bare knuckle fighting sherlock holmes slash and bare knuckle fighting with snatch bare knuckle fighting in general guy Ritchie did an incredible job with either film yes. as far as bare knuckle fighting comes from yeah he likes the uh speed up the camera slow it yeah speed up the camera slow it down like yeah the fights and the really big hits and they'll be like boom and that's super fast and stuff like that so yeah huh. the cinematography is very similar in a lot of this movie oh yeah no, so. number two I love this scene. It makes me <laughs> smile just thinking about it. Yep. But Henry Cavill in the truck from Man from Uncle. It's just so funny. It is. Billy was talking about this scene earlier. And I'm sorry to take away from that. I knew it was on there, so I apologize, but keep going. You are ruining my life. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, it was your thing, and I was like, let me tell you about it. <laughs> uh, it's just so funny. Like He's just hanging out in this truck, eating a sandwich, watching his buddy get chased around by the guards, and just perfect. I would have to say animal mention from a scene from Man of Uncle is the when she's drinking and then starts dancing and Arnie's trying to play chess and yes. she gets him to sort of stand next to her and it's yep. just that whole scene was beautifully done. Yep. It's yeah. just yeah. such a good movie. And number one from Rock and Roll. Oh Rolla. gosh, that's a great scene. <laughs> Cracks me up. Else about it, Tom. Gerard Butler and Idris Elba at a cafe. Now, the night before, <laughs> Gerard Butler's best mate was uh, supposed to be having his last night before going to prison. Handsome Bob. Handsome, well, Handsome Bob. Bob, played by my man, Tom Hardy, Venom. It's a really intense scene because they're driving. Gerard Butler lined up these strip strippers and just this whole big party for Handsome Bob's last day. And Handsome Bob looks sad, and so Gerard Butler asks him about it, and Handsome Bob says, well, all I want is you. Uh, Gerard Butler stops the car, gets out, runs out into the rain in this big dramatic scene, and then the the scene that's number one on our list takes place the next day, where Gerard Butler Mm -hmm. is talking with Idris Elba about their upcoming job, and Idris Elba says, we need Handsome Bob to drive, and Gerard Butler's like, nope, nope, don't want to use him. Yep. Idris Elba's like, but he's our driver. We, we need a getaway driver. And Hansel <laughs> Bob's the driver. And Gerard Butler's like, nope. And uh, so Elba starts, like, poking at him, asking just, what happened last night? Like, it was his last night free, and you took one for the team. Good on you, mate. Yeah. And uh, just, it was a hilarious scene because Gerard Butler is so uncomfortable, and something clearly happened between them the previous night. And you don't find out until later exactly what it was. It was just uh, the funniest so you know. Well, Ellis Elba in that whole scene, it's like, it's no big deal to him. He's like, did you suck his <laughs> It's like, it was not a big deal for him. It's like, that's okay. He well, took yeah, one for the team. setting it's... him up to that. He's like, handsome Bob is. It just is like a puff. Yeah, everybody knows, knows that. that yeah. <laughs> that was the best. <laughs> like, like, everybody's totally yeah. okay with it. And drugs, the one that's yeah. scared that everybody's going to be. Well, I love how Guy Ritchie wrote this joke out for a while because you had Handsome Bob tell one two Gerald Butler's Mm -hmm. character about being gay and he wants him. And then you see the next day Gerald Butler kind of sort of 
limping in so you think oh crap he let him (laughs) and then you finally find out what really happened but it's just it guy richie drug that joke out pretty well and i'll add into that one more thing i do like that they sprinkled in what makes handsome bob such a great guy was what idris was like you did that for your mate you did that for your yeah like you know what he was doing when you were in prison he was taking care of your mom yes time every single day no one else was there but he was yeah and so it made gerard butler's character kind of realize how important that doesn't give a shit that he's gay he's just a really good friend so i I like how that yes an entire joke was absolutely hilarious it was but i really liked how he kind of just sprinkled in that little bit of like it was great yeah sweetness on his side too so i thought that was a a well done on picking that one for as a top scene i think it is yeah and the relationship between one two and mr mumbles guard butler and idris alva is so good it is another one of those super tight relationships and it's just Mm -hmm. phenomenally well done it is yeah what did we miss? Tweet your thoughts at Logic OIO. Or put something on Instagram that I'll probably never see. <laughs> <laughs> but share your thoughts uh, at, at Logic OIO. The last thing we're going to do today is we are going to get into it. We are going to rank 11 Guy Ritchie films from worst to best. I think this is pretty straightforward. I'm going to throw out the first one. One that we didn't even take the time to watch. Swept away. Do we have any arguments about whether or not that is the worst guy Ritchie film i'll take everybody's word for it um critics wise yeah i mean swept away haven't seen it i guess once we see it maybe a revolver and swept away it'll be kind of intervolve you know interchanging but yeah i mean should try to watch it at some point so yeah maybe we'll get to it so swept away officially the worst guy Ritchie <laughs> film. Boom, boom. next up I think that Revolver would be a strong contender. I'd put either Revolver or King Arthur here. What are your guys' thoughts? Uh, Revolver for me, because, I mean, I would have liked to see what he wanted to do with the film. It just didn't come across. And, I mean, it was interesting for him to try to tackle on a subject that would have been interesting if he could have brought the thought through, but it didn't come through for me, so I kind of have to put it down there. So... I threw Aladdin there just because I hadn't seen it yet. And Makes I sense. That was fair because I needed to rank everything else properly. Oh sure, yeah. But I'd push against it. Aladdin's pretty good. Like it, it didn't have the same magic for me as the original animated version, but it was it was a solid film. I'm sure it'll jump up on this list once I do watch it. Yeah, sure. but I well, get. We have to have a consensus here before we can move on. Oh. <laughs> So how do we think? Do we think uh, Revolver or Aladdin are two contenders here? <laughs> I would have to go with Revolver. Sorry, Billy. All right. Fair. Revolver is the second worst film. Trust me, there's nothing to be sorry about. <laughs> like, the second worst film. Next on the list, I would have King Arthur here. Billy would have Aladdin. What do you think, Feeny? Um, I would have to say King Arthur as well. And King Arthur, it didn't really grab me, but... I there was there was some positives in it like the special effects were really good. We haven't talked about effects in any of these movies, but in this one, I remember the magic looking dazzling. Like there was a lot of visual panache to it. Yeah, I mean the special effects are incredible. I think the storyline is pretty decent, but it. I guess one of the things it doesn't resonate as a Guy Ritchie film, and we talked about this before we started recording. You know, do we take in? in account just directing or screenplay or writing but 
you can see his directing the way he does certain the fast scenes and stuff. You see his directing and stuff. And, you know, it's a camaraderie of characters too, but it didn't stand out early on as a great Guy Ritchie film when we saw it. So, Well, it, Billy, I guess it depends on you because you haven't seen Aladdin, whether you want to go with King Arthur being the yeah, third worst. I know I'm going to like Aladdin when it comes out. I'm a Disney fan myself. Okay. But again, that was just me being... Not seen it, not which seen I get it. it. So yeah. that's why I put it there. So yeah. I will go with you so far on the list as, okay, yes, I'm in agreement. Yeah. All right. So recapping real quick, it's so far it's been swept away as the worst, followed by Revolver, followed by King Arthur. We're getting towards the middle of the list now. Number four, this is where I would put Aladdin. Okay. Um, Billy, you've been campaigning for it for a while. Feeney, what do you think? I would agree. I mean, part of the problem it's dropping on the list is because of nostalgia of Robin Williams. It's not the same as the original, so... I can respect that as your guys' answer. Yeah. I would also say that from this point on, all of these movies are really good. So it's yeah. going to be very difficult from here on out. Like, Aladdin, I think... I, it didn't blow me away as the greatest movie of all time, but I enjoyed it. It's a good yeah. film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, this is kind of my Mendoza line for quality. So we put Aladdin at number four. Number five, our remaining titles. Just run through them real quick. Well, I don't want to do that because that would kind of betray my list. <laughs> <laughs> but I would suggest at this spot, Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows. Uh, it's been... Whew, eight years probably since i've seen it being you've watched it more recently um and billy what are your thoughts at this spot i'd say number five is a good spot for game of shadows it's tough um i would probably go with you guys on that but it is kind of hard to put it in that slot because moriarty is so good in that film sure but he does bring the humor a little bit too much in Game of Shadows with Sherlock, and oh, you know, I, I, like I they think did too well with the humor. In first the first one, they, they kind of yeah add more to it. Yeah, so I think they, yeah, I think they kind of did a little too much, and some of the uh, scenes were kind of a little too much at times. So Moria was perfect in this film, but yeah, I think we're gonna have to put Games of uh, Shadows on that slot. So we're ranking 11 movies. The first five, there hasn't been a lot of controversy Mm-mm. about. So Now the top six, <laughs> I think these can get a little bit more contentious. For me, at that number six spot right in the middle of the list, I had Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Billy? What are your I did thoughts? Not have that at number six. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, I put, for the, I put The Man from Uncle, if we're going... Now, in everybody's favorite movies, that's where I put Man of Uncle. I think that was a fair spot to put it in the middle. Not bad, not the best. And Feeney, your thoughts? Um, it's a tough call. And you don't have to pick from those two. Like, you can throw yeah, no, I was thinking here. about it. At the Rock and Rolla, I kind of would throw down the list. I thoroughly enjoyed Rock and Rolla in a lot of the scenes because mm-hmm. some of the great scenes are from that movie, but. It didn't grab me as much as Snatch and Lockstock, so I kind of would bring that down lower on the list for me. And thinking about Rock and Roller versus Lockstock, for me, the production values on Rock and Roller are so much oh, better. Like, of Lockstock, course. it's a good film, but the lower budget plays a role. It's not as visually pleasing as some of the other films. There were, there were a lot of positives, it was, but it was a little grittier, it was a little less polished, and uh, I mean, I like... I like a tight, polished final product. 
Sure. So that's kind of sure. where I'm coming from. Like, it's not a knock on Lockstock. I think it's really good. I think the cast is really good. I love how the, like, the different threads come together. Thinking about these other films, I enjoyed each of the other films more. Sure. But did you see Lockstock when it first came back out in 1998? Or when I saw it for when the first time it? four days ago. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. See, I, I saw it back in like 2001 too so film production was still not yeah. up to par as it would it would be today in the digital world mm. so i think that's probably why i still keep it as a high and i can understand why you put it down there because you're visually you know amazed by all the stuff that he's done since and they look phenomenal so i completely agree with you on that standpoint but so the three we're poking at here well, are lockstock Rock and Rolla and the Man from Uncle. I think. Sorry to throw in a monkey wrench here, but um, I'm thinking the gentleman. Oh, say that again. I'm sorry. The gentleman. No, you're throwing that as number six. Yeah, Yeah, we're still talking about number six as another consideration. So we have the Man from Uncle, Lockstock, and. The gentleman, we're already in a standstill. Yeah, we are. We're in a Mexican standoff. Is that racist? I'll say this. There's no way this Marshall and I am not putting the man from Uncle under Lockstock. Okay. okay. I have to say that I think in ways I view Rock and Roll a more of a Guy Ritchie film than The Gentleman. So I think Gentleman has to drop down the list because I enjoyed the film for what it was great film. It's great to see Matthew McConaughey be the line of the jungle, but I kind of have to me, it's not quite the Guy Ritchie film that I expected. Mm. So it kind of has to fall down the list for me. All right. So All right. I had it as my top <laughs> Guy Ritchie film, You honey. did. You did. I oh had boy. it as three. I put it between Rock and Rolla and The Gentleman. I, boy. Was, I was confused on which one I wanted to choose. Well, I guess I, to me, I, I guess that's the hard point here. Guy Ritchie directs films. He does help with screenplays. Mm-hmm. But he also writes complete films and directs them and if we look in the sense of complete writing and directing to me the gentleman is not quite the quintessential guy ritchie film i mean rock and roll it still has that quintessential guy ritchie with a little bit of intrigue till the end and you're like holy shit what (laughs) you know (laughs) it's like with the gentleman you sort of figuring out the pieces at the end you kind of shocked at what he does to those characters at the end, but you know, you kind of knew who was kind of betraying who in the movie. So, well, you convinced me, love. Uh, yeah, I so. would be comfortable putting the gentleman at the six spot. Really, your thoughts? Really, you're moving your number one <laughs> up to six, well, just like that. This was really hard for me to uh, rank these top ones. Like, no, I completely understand. These are so close, I'm just like, giving you. Shit. <laughs> I don't, you, you go ahead and do that. I completely respect that choice. I do. But I was just like, wow. It's a very compelling argument. It's a very good argument. Yeah. Maybe I should have put some more thought into my list, but I really, really like The Gentleman. I mean, it's a very. I, I thought it was a really well done movie. It's a well done movie. I enjoyed Colin Farrell and a lot of the characters, but I guess when I think of a completely written, completely directed Guy Ritchie film, it I guess I'm not going to say that's a Guy Ritchie film completely. You right. Know? Yep. So. Well, there we have it. The sixth best Guy Ritchie film is the newest one, The Gentleman. All right. Now we are into the top five. 
the fifth best Guy Ritchie film. The ones that we have left, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, I think I'm doing this in chronological order, Sherlock Holmes, The Man from Uncle, Rock and Rolla, mm-hmm. and I must have missed one. No, I think... Was that you, it? No, that's you're good. Okay. Yeah, you're good. So what Snatch. do we think? Um, I would... Sherlock, I can see following down the list here. You know, it's a very well done film and the cinematography and the characters are well done. But I mean, he didn't completely write that story. He directed it, but his directing did an incredible job with the film, with the actor. So I can see that dropping down to this point. That's why I I put him in my between the two of um, the man from Uncle and Sherlock in the same kind of right next to each other because they're good but they're just they're they're good that's about it you know what i mean like did he the top did he launch the current sherlock holmes renaissance with his 2008 film no uh sherlock bbc was first oh he came in the middle of it oh well yes. boy he jumped on the bandwagon yeah bandwagon yeah so and he did it very well okay well if we want to put Sherlock at the uh, fifth best Guy Ritchie film, I won't push against it. I'm... So we're going, okay, so we're going The Gentleman and then Sherlock, huh? That's our final answer? What would you prefer to have as the fifth? No, 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 no I'm no. fine with that. I'm fine with that. Yeah, Sherlock is five. It's hard because of the it's chemistry tough. and the cinematography. Really I mean, I I would have I a just hard. I watched Sherlock too. And it's just, it's, it's yeah, one of those movies you can watch over and over, over again. And over. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Man from Uncle. I can you know those two can be interchangeable because you know. Yeah. But there's something about the charisma of Man from Uncle that it just sometimes. It's like, oh, that's a good film. <laughs> it is. It's a very good film. All right, I'm with you guys on that. So. All right, so number five is Sherlock Holmes. That leaves us four movies left. Lockstock, Snatch, Rock and Rolla, and The Man from Uncle. I can say we could put Man from Uncle in. Yep, Man from Uncle number four. No! <laughs> I do not want to put it lower than Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. That is an awesome <laughs> film. It is so good, and it's so funny. It's got a good uh-huh. spy storyline. Like, I mean, and it looks so much better than Lockstock. Like, Lockstock, the biggest thing it has going for it is all the, like, interwinding threads, how everything spreads out and then comes back together into a tidy little package. Like, is that... It does and it doesn't. The story has some holes to it, I have to say. It's not a complete lock story man from uncle there's kind of some little holes here and there and i hate to do this to you but you would rate Baldur's gate as one of your top games and that's an older but if i were to (laughs) we've talked about this if i were to give that game a score now it'd be like a six i still love it i still have a lot of nostalgia for it but playing that against like divinity or pillars like woof no i get that but i mean i guess uh, we got to think of it at the standpoint it's like guy Ritchie. we're talking about guy Ritchie films what makes a guy Ritchie film what does it make you know i would say henry cavill makes a guy Ritchie <laughs> film <laughs> i guess it's tough because i love sherlock and man from uncle and i think they should be higher in the list but I guess when I'm thinking about creativity and writing and directing, I th- I would put Lockstock next for me, you know. 
Man from Uncle and then Lockstock. But I've already said definitively <laughs> that I'm not putting Man from Uncle lower than Lockstock. Really, <laughs> what have you got? I gotta agree with your wife, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> Lockstock goes number four, and here's why: The Man from Uncle at number four because I could see that as any other spy movie out there. You could make that a James Bond movie, you essentially. Right. Whereas, where were we at next? I wouldn't say that James Bond, it couldn't be a James Bond movie because James Bond is the star of the James Bond movies and they're uh-huh. kind of co-stars and there's, it's sure. It's in the same genre. James Bond is a fantastic spy, but they also can have some humor to it. So, I mean, you're kind of dealing with similarness as far as that, you know. That's why I'm putting it at four. Again, it's not a bad movie. Four is a good spot. Yeah, you're not button, you're not up on the podium, but you're fourth best. <laughs> Out of 11. <laughs> yeah, you're not on the podium with the rest of the big boys, but you're all, you know, you're know, handing the towels to them. I have such a hard time accepting a, that Lockstock you might get is a, a local, movie than Man You'll get a local sponsorship from like a car dealership. You're the star. It's got a great twist at the end. I mean, it's got... Uh, it's so good. It's fantastic. It's good. The characters are good. The It's... But I have to agree, there is a lot of good spy movies that are on par with Man from Uncle. I mean, we could do a whole episode on spy movies. Oh, and... we intend to. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Lockstock, even though I just, it's not one of my favorites of his, but you have to think of it as far as originality. You don't even know what happens at the end, though. They leave you hanging. That's part of the charm <sighs> of it. That is not charming. <laughs> That is frustrating. No, I get that, babe. And that's, you know, I'm totally with you on that. But, I mean, you have to think of the characters. I mean, think of, what's Finney Jones' character's name again? Um, uh, Big Chris. Tone? Big Chris. Big Chris and his character and the way he shows up and drops a bag in front of them and says, you know, this is the deal. And then walks away and the catalog's in there with the guns, you know. With Man from Uncle, you know that the um spies are in the end gonna oops sorry gonna be you know on top they're gonna figure it out and do it i love the charm of the movie it's just when henry Cavill was stopped in that chair <laughs> you didn't know that he's gonna make it out of that oh you did no he's too handsome it's like he's <laughs> not gonna make... handsome people die in movies i can't think of one name one i was gonna say he name... dies in superman for christ's sakes and comes back but I'm not saying Henry. I'm saying handsome men. <laughs> Wait, I thought we disagreed that he was handsome. <laughs> this is great. I love this. This is great. This is great. The last one we were on, the music one, we were like spot on, spot on. And this one's like, nope. Fists are coming up. The fisticuffs are coming. We're going to fight. No. Number four, final answer. I would have to say man from uncle. Man from mm-hmm. uncle. We're doing this as a democracy. <laughs> this is not a democracy. Mr. Dictator. <laughs> You've been outvoted. Oh, man. Do how I just love this. <laughs> this is not a democracy. <laughs> but I will capitulate. The Man from Uncle is the fourth best Guy Ritchie film. Here, here. Worse than Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Not worse. Not worst. Not worst. It's just. Again, I am going from the perspective of creativity from Guy Ritchie's brain. He took something that was already done 
and made it even fantastic, you know, perfect. But he made the scene with Lockstock, and it's just, the story is just like, and you, you loved the movie. You're talking about how much you loved the characters the really Kermo- in the Karate. The- it's so good. And then, it's yeah. It's well done. It's well done. And leaving you hanging at the end, I hate that, but it's just, it's very clever to have that in a film. But here's yeah. the thing I'll rewatch Man from Uncle many a time. Oh, yeah. It's me a too. Great movie because yeah. I like spy movies. Yeah. And that's a great spy movie. But it is not better than. In my opinion, Lockstock, because I think Lockstock is. Now you might have a different opinion if you saw it twenty years ago. Well, I, I guess probably wouldn't have liked it. I wouldn't have understand. <laughs> I guess it's back to the whole debate about Aladdin. You know, there you go. It's another Aladdin decision in the top four. You know, you it's just you know, nostalgia versus look. Look, you know, and also, I understand Man from Uncle looks so clean and nice and beautiful but i guess also billy and i have watched a lot of british shows and seen a lot of that grittiness of british shows and it just reminds us of the if you watch british mysteries now they still have that grittiness that lockstock has so like i watched spy movies british spy movies and shows with my dad for the longest time when i was young and so that's why I will always rewatch The Man from Uncle because it's a great movie. It is. Good it really movie, is. But... but I like Lockstock better. If all of you listeners can tweet at me while I'm right, I would greatly appreciate it. It's at TomSidLogicOIO. I want to see that. But Hands we, down. Uh, and we... agree with the fact that they're all going to say Lockstock before. <laughs> we shall see. So we have three movies left. We top have three. Top three Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Snatch and Rock and Rolla. Yep. We haven't mentioned Snatch yet. I have a pretty good idea where that's going to go. Oh, yeah. On the list. I know where Feeney stands on this. <laughs> number one. So at the number three spot, <laughs> we're really arguing between Rock and Rolla and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. That's a hard one for me because Rock and Rolla kind of deviated from his original material, but I thoroughly enjoyed a lot of the scenes and the characters from that movie because it was different from Lockstock and Snatch so I would kind of have to put Lockstock down at three for me see I disagree with you That's yeah I figured you would be Lockstock too so you're the well it's really hard for me too I mean I loved Rock and Roll and that was the first movie we watched in this prepping for this so that was mm-hmm. almost like my reintroduction to Guy Ritchie films I had seen Sherlock and, and a couple of other things right I love rock and roll I think that the accountant is one of the most unique characters she in is. any of his films we didn't talk that about was, her we didn't talk about her nearly as enough but yeah that's a very good point Absolutely. I guess that's another point to bring up about Guy Ritchie films he has these very unique female characters in except for Snatch but I mean in Lockstock but like Rock and Rolla, the accountant guy, and Man from Uncle, the female character in that, yeah. and then the gentleman, the, gentleman, the, the wife. wife. You know, he has some very interesting characters. characters in his films. Boy, this is really hard for me. <laughs> it's okay, babe. Just truth. Ah, no, I have to hem and haw about it. Rock and Rolla versus Lockstock. <laughs> I mean, I've been, I've been pounding the sweet desk that Eric well, you don't, made for. Lockstock for the last few picks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what's your opinion? Is do you think Snatch is? 
Yeah, I think that Snatch is the easy choice for number one. I okay. originally ranked The Gentleman there because it was my favorite of the films. But as our discussion has evolved about what makes a Guy Ritchie film okay. a Guy Ritchie film, yeah. like I think Snatch is... So the debate is where goes number two and three. Yeah, two and we three. We all know that number one answer is Snatch, <laughs> Snatch. because that's such a beautiful movie. It is. It is Guy Ritchie to a T, and it is written well, and it is directed well, and it is acted well. So really, this is... A debate between, a debate two, between and three. two and three. Well, I feel like all of those same things could be said about Lockstock as well. It's just the production 100%. values weren't quite... That's where it falls with me. you, and yeah. that's okay, because this is your opinion of yeah. what is your choice. Well, I originally had rock and roll in number two. I'm going to stick there. So our final list, going from best movie down to worst. We'll see if I can. Uh, I wasn't writing this down. <laughs> I was going to say, I, didn't, I never saw you type in. So we can remember this. Number one, Snatch. Number two, Rock and Rolla. Third place, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Number four, Criminally Low, <laughs> Man from Uncle. Still the one who's mad about it. Number five was The Gentleman. No. No, Sherlock. Sherlock. Sherlock Holmes. Number six was The Gentleman. Number seven was Sherlock Holmes, Game of Shadows. Number The next one was Aladdin, followed by King Arthur, Revolver, and Swept Away. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. There you go. The definitive ranking of Guy Ritchie Films. Thank you so much for having <laughs> us for over two hours while we discussed these. No way. Was that really two hours? It was. Dude, this time goes so quick. Yeah, it does. Because you have so much to talk about. But you it's do. So fun. Before we get to our interview with the musician, Billy, Phoenix, do you guys have any closing thoughts on Guy Ritchie films? That Anything that we didn't touch on? Any characters we didn't talk about? Anything that you have in your hearts of hearts that you still want to discuss? Not necessarily. If you don't know Guy Ritchie films... Man from Uncle and Sherlock are easy films to watch to get into his and they sort have of very wide appeal. You could really yeah. watch them with anybody. You really could. Yeah, yeah the fast pace, the way he is with his characters. But to really know a true Guy Ritchie film, I would have to say Snatch. Is get on Snatch just if you've never. I'm sure everybody has seen seen Snatch, Snatch but yeah, if you've not seen Snatch. That's the one I would go for. And if you like it, then watch Lockstock. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's how I we'll did see it. See where it originated from. And you'll understand why he made Snatch the way he did, film-wise. Uh, yeah, I would have loved to jump more into the cinematography. Oh, I know. He's, he's... Whoever he chooses for his cinematographers or the way he directs his cinematographers, really well done. I mean, his editing, the fast-pacedness, his signature uh, as far as his filming technique is there. Yep. And you can tell it's a Guy Ritchie film. Yeah. The gentleman kind of lost a little bit. I don't remember seeing a lot of that fast pacedness, and that's why it kind of fell down on this thing for me. Yeah, I could go. I could see that. Yeah. But still, he has a unique stamp to his films, and if you haven't watched anything, you should try watching absolutely his films. So, thank you both so much for coming along with this journey, Billy Phoenix. This has been a lot of fun. And now, audio listeners, stay tuned for an interview with musician Bug Hunter. Our guest today is Seattle-based musician Bug Hunter. He currently has over 78,000 monthly listeners on Spotify, and he will be releasing his third album in August. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bug. Hey, glad, yeah, glad to be on. Now, you produced your first album, Torn Between a Couple, in your bedroom, in your free time, while working a full-time job. Did you ever imagine the success that your music would find? Not not even a little bit. Um, so, I think even when I released that album, 
um, it sat on Spotify for for months before before people kind of retroactively went back and found it when I released a, a later song, um, and that was actually my second album uh, for Bug Hunter. It was the first album, but I had a, a different different named project before that, and similar story. Released it, nobody really listened to it, uh, and so yeah, at the time it was just it's something I did for fun. It's a it's a hobby that has now kind of gotten out of hand. Um, but yeah, never, never could have imagined that it that it would reach as many people as it did. Now, if I have my information straight, you went viral on Reddit, and that was kind of your first big exposure. Can you tell us about that experience? Yeah, so that was that was kind of what what turned the tide a little bit. Between the two sites, Imgur and Reddit, have been kind of my my backbone for my my origin story, and it all started with the song that I wrote called "Dear McCracken," and I. I think I, I think I put up a live video of us playing Dear McCracken at like a talent show and it got a little bit of attention and that was like, okay, we should record this song and uh, get it out quickly because I had just released Torn Between a Couple in March and then we released Dear McCracken as a single in July. So it was like you know, four months later and just because there was such a positive response to it. And then once we released the actual song and I made a, a lyric video for it, uh, that started to catch on where I posted it and people were like, whoa, I really, really like this. And that was something new for me. Um, and so, you know, those those things are very fleeting on on those sites. When you get to the front page of Reddit, it's a day at, at maximum. Right. And then it disappears because new content has, has kind of, you know, taken taken over. But for that day, you get a lot of people messaging you and, and sending emails and uh enough people hopped over to our Spotify that kind of triggered the uh, Spotify algorithm to start recommending Dear McCracken and our other music to more people. And so I, I, I like to say that Reddit was kind of like the spark, where then Spotify has been kind of like the, the engine that has kind of driven us along the rest of That's the way. That's very interesting. Dear McCracken is currently nearing 2 million plays on Spotify. What is the story behind this song? How did, uh, how did it come together? Yeah, so Dear McCracken's a true story. Um, a lot of I get that question a lot. Uh, it actually happened basically word for word as it as it happened in the song, um, and you know that's kind of the kind of music that I like to write is very uh, you know I, I draw things from from my life and things that I observe and kind of my my take I guess on on what happened, you know because I think a lot of a lot of music tries to be very general to kind of relate to as many people as possible. And for me, I like to be as specific as I can uh, in the hopes that people can see that this the specific thing that I'm talking about is more indicative of a larger kind of topic. And so I, I, I try to just go about it a different way. Um, and I've, I've found that people connect to it, you know, um, at least in my my little corner of the world, you know, taking a very, very small example of this this lady on the on the plane writing an email to someone that maybe she had feelings for that she couldn't, you know, express. I feel like a lot of people have found their own story in that story. Um, and that's why it resonates with people. Sure. Was the name McCracken a true part of the story? Or did you come up with that? You know, sometimes I tell people that it was it was real. Sometimes I tell people that it wasn't real. Uh, I just kind of like to leave that a little ambiguous. I gotcha. You put a lot of yourself into your music. Do you ever worry that your music is too personal? Um, yeah, in in some ways. Uh, 
you know, because there, I have a lot of people that will say they feel like they know me really well. Um, and that's obviously a very one-sided thing because that's one of the first or second things they say to me, uh, you know, over Instagram or, or Facebook or something like that. And I get it because I do, you know, my songs are very much me. You know, when I sing, you know, I was an ugly kid with a handsome older brother and point to prove, like I'm, I'm telling that story from my perspective. Uh, and you know, it is about my older brother, you know, I didn't make up an older brother. Um, and so, yeah, people, people, people know me pretty well by listening to my music. Sometimes that's strange, but, um, at the same time, you know, when I wrote most of the songs that currently out in the world i wasn't making music for anyone but myself and my like friends and family uh so i didn't really i didn't really pause to think like you know okay a hundred thousand people are going to hear this that was never an option that was never going to happen in my mind i was just doing this because it was fun uh and a really neat hobby to kind of look back on and be like wow i like created something now it's a little different because now i know when i release a song a, a sizable amount of people are going to listen to it, but I've tried not to let it affect kind of how I write or, or what I write about. And I think that, that people are going to find that on kind of my next set of songs. I definitely didn't hold back, uh, on, on the personal stuff. Um, because it, it, it makes me feel a little less alone when I have so many people say like, you know, this song could have been written about my life, you know. When when you have that many people kind of relating to to the words you're words you're singing, it it definitely gives me a sense of like, okay, I'm not an outlier. Other people are going through this too, uh, and kind of finding their way through to the other side. That's awesome. Can you tell us about your bandmates and how the group came together? Yeah, so it, it's it's been kind of different, you know, kind of unique stages of of the band. Uh, back in tour between a couple of days, it was just me in a in a little closet and just making music on my own. I played bass, guitar, all the drums and synths and whatever. Uh, and then with Jeremy Kraken, I, I brought in a few more people um, that I just met from work. And because I, I think at that point, I was just like, you know, tour between a couple was kind of my sound, but uh, we were going to play at a talent show for, for at work. And so we're like, hey, let's like let's play this as like a band. And that's when I was like, OK, this is cool to play my music with other people. So live, it sounds like it like it does on, on the album, because at that point I was still just, you know, I produce a song that was drums and bass and guitar and singing. And then I would go to uh, open mic or a show and it would just be me and my guitar. Um, so that sounded different. So I brought in a couple people. Uh, two people from just kind of posting on Facebook to my to my musician kind of network in Seattle, just saying, "Hey, Bug Hunter's looking for a a bassist and a drummer." And so we had people just kind of come try out, and and we connected with uh, a couple people that way. One of them is uh, our current. I, I I shouldn't call him our bassist because he was our bassist for the rough rough draft, uh, Jesse Galloway, and he has kind of moved into a different role which is he plays the bass parts, but he also does like lead guitar parts and also a little bit of kazoo uh, and piano. So he's kind of our our instrument ninja. Uh, and then the drummer for the Rough Draft, uh, Marcus, he ended up uh, leaving Seattle to go hike the Appalachian Trail with his wife. And so obviously that's a very long endeavor. Uh, and then he ended up settling out in Maine 
And so we basically thought it was just me and Jesse. Then at that point, we 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 thought, you know, we could find another drummer. But my my best buddy from college, uh, Kyle, he has drummed with us on all of our tours. Uh, he's never played on a Bug Hunter album or song, but he was our kind of because the way that we tour, it's very like, hey, let's take two weeks off of work and drive across the country. And so it's just kind of a fun thing to do. And he's a, a brilliant drummer and he knows all the songs and he would practice, you know, on his steering wheel driving to work. Uh, and so he's kind of joined the band in a, in a full time role now where he did the drums for the upcoming album. Uh, so it's the three of us now, um, Jesse, Kyle and myself. And uh I've kind of I've kind of set it up where Bug Hunter is the band, but you know, sometimes it's just me because of logistics. Like I said, we all work full time and uh, we can't always be available for everything. So as long as I'm there with an acoustic guitar, it's still I still consider it to be Bug Hunter, but it's uh, it's always a lot more fun if I have my bandmates there kind of jamming along with. That's awesome. Out of the songs you've released so far, which one is your personal favorite and what makes it stand out to you? So I, I can't actually answer this question, um, and I know it's a cop-out. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is kind of like that. Like, I know I know that if you, you take Dear McCracken and you hold it up to, you know, Hold Tough from Tormund Between a Couple, like, I know that Dear McCracken is a better song, so I'm not going to say that, like, everything is equal. But the way that I view it is I don't, I don't judge them all by the same criteria, Um they mean different things to me, and I know that they mean different things to different people. There are some people who Dear McCracken kind of goes over their head a little bit, but Listen to Your Mom makes them cry, and it's deeply impactful for them. And so to say one is better than the other, it's just, it's, it's, it's a strange kind of way to compare them. So I guess what I will say is that there are songs that I feel... Uh, are stronger than the general population feels just as terms of uh, uh, listen counts on Spotify. You know, I I can see kind of how things rank against each other based on what people listen to. And for me, uh, especially on the rough draft, the song on the rough draft for me that I felt was stronger than uh, most people did was go with the flow. Uh, I put that song in kind of my top three on that album Whereas by like listener counts, it's kind of near the bottom. I was really proud of that one and the lyrics and the and the the way that I conveyed the message that I was trying to convey. Sometimes like as a writer, you're trying to get a point across, and I feel like with that song, I I nailed it. You know, it's like it's it's not often that I'm like I like got that one. I I, I hit it on the bullseye. But with Go with the Flow, I felt like you know relative to here's my message, here's my execution. I, I don't think I could have done a better job. So uh, I'll just, I'll call that one out uh, in lieu of an actual answer. Sure. You take a lot of pride in your lyrics. Who are some other artists that you respect as lyricists? Yeah, so I think, you know, when I when I look at other lyricists, other singers, you know, Ben Gibbard from Death Cab is a big one. Um, I always kind of when I first started kind of telling people about Bug Hunter, what I would say is like, it's kind of like Death Cab if it was like a little catchier. And I like, uh, I don't know if you know the band The Front Bottoms. They're they're a band that I've always really looked up to because their, their lyrics are 
kind of like what I was saying earlier. They're very specific, but you know what he's talking about, even though he's he's he'll say a name of somebody and you you don't know that person, but you know what that person represents to him uh, just by the way he's delivering his lyrics. Um, and I've always I've always really liked that. And then I think and this is kind of retroactive, but uh, the other day I was listening back to this band called The Format, which was uh, if you ever heard of fun. Nate Russo from Fun had a, an older band called The Format, and listening back to their lyrics, I, I think like, oh man, they really they had a big influence on me, uh, without me even realizing it, because his his lyrical style is, I think, kind of similar to mine too. Sure, we've talked a fair amount about Gear McCracken, and I promise I only have two more questions about it for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Number one, how strange was it to have a student dedicate their senior? college project to making an animated video for that song and i'll and i'll correct you on this only because it's just that much more impressive he was actually a senior in high school which is just it blows my mind it it blows my mind the story of that from my perspective is is completely wild the dear mccracken lyric video was up on youtube and at that point it had a bit of attention where you know hundreds of comments and I'd you know, I get a comment on it every once in a while. And then I get this comment from this channel, Prisa, and, it, and he says, I want to do an animation of this. And so I comment back and I say, sure, go ahead. You know, like, let me know if you need me to send you like an MP3 or something, you know, so you don't have to like buy it off iTunes. Um, and I think, gosh, it must have been six months later. I get a notification on Twitter that he's made kind of like a, a storyboard, kind of rough drawings and put it on YouTube. And I and I watched it. And I was like, oh, that was neat. I, I like that a lot. And then five months later, I get another notification on Twitter and he said, OK, it's done. And I watch it. And it's just this like amazing, beautiful, just professional animation done uh to the song to it was to a cover of the song so he had he had someone re-record because uh in his version the two characters are both uh men and so he changed some of the pronouns uh in the in the beginning of the song which you know if he had asked me to do it i probably would have done it for him but i i told you the entire correspondence that we had was just on a youtube comment and yeah so just the fact that because you know it, it just took him so much time you know that's the thing is he he dedicated months and months to working on this project without giving me any updates or letting me know that it was still kind of happening and and so to see just the final product just pop up was was very surreal and it was something that never could have anticipated uh, never could have expected um, but I'm really grateful because it that animation alone has turned on so many people to to my music and the rough draft and Dear McCracken in particular. So it, it worked out pretty well for me. They did just an amazing job. I could watch yeah. that nearly endlessly. Yeah. Last question on Dear McCracken. Mm-hmm. When will the world finally get to hear Dear McCracken 2, <laughs> this time I'm on a spaceship? Yeah. Um, so I think that was a, that was a joke that I made in our, in our Kickstarter, uh, kind of telling people what to expect for the next album. Because a lot of people will say, you have to write the sequel to Dear McCracken. I need to know what happens next. Um, and, and my answer to those people are, is, you know, the song is not about the lady on the plane and McCracken. It is about what they 
didn't say to each other. Uh, so there there could be no satisfying conclusion to that story. Even to, to me, even if they ended up together, I, I wouldn't be satisfied with knowing because the point of the song is about not knowing. Um, and so... To, sorry to disappoint anybody who might be hoping for a, for a, a Dear McCracken sequel. But the other side of the coin is I, I truly don't know what happened. And because the song was a true story, uh, I would have to make something up to write a sequel. And that also, I think, goes against kind of the spirit of, of how I write. So, you know, I, I don't and I don't anticipate ever finding out what happened. I don't think even though a lot of people have heard the song in the grand scheme of things, you know, two million streams is not you know, a hundred million, it's not 150 million. And I think, uh, we're still under the radar and, uh, they probably haven't heard it yet. Your next album comes out in August. Tell us about the next album. What are some things you're proud of with it? Yeah. So I think the, the next album, it's based around a song that we released in September of last year. And so this is kind of inadvertently become, become kind of my strategy where I release a song way ahead of time and then release the album kind of a year later. Uh, we did that with McCracken where that came out almost 16 months before the rough draft actually ended up coming out. And so we released a song called Take It Back in September of uh, 2019, knowing that it would be kind of the, the, the tentpole for whatever the next album became. And uh, at that point... I think in September, I didn't really know. I had a couple of songs written and I knew kind of what I wanted the album to be just based off of that song. And uh, that was new for me. So I'd say that with the rough draft um, specifically, I wrote a bunch of songs kind of in that time period. And once I had kind of a collection of songs that I thought, okay, these are good songs to to put on an album. That's when the, the themes of the album kind of developed based on the pieces that I already had. Whereas this next upcoming album was written with kind of the bigger picture in mind ahead of time. So rather than taking, you know, existing pieces and finding a way to fit them together, I thought, here's what I want it to look like. Let me write these individual pieces to that vision. Um, And so it'll, it'll be different in that regard, but what I really wanted to do, and I think I accomplished this, is I wanted the experience of listening to just one song. If I get, you know, I, I don't take for granted that I'm going to get anybody's attention or time with anything I do. So if I get one song, I want it to be great and stand on its own two feet. But I also want the experience of listening to the album to be something more kind of than the sum of its parts. Um, and I think I've accomplished that uh, with, with, with this upcoming album. Um, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a new way of writing for me where I do have a lot of imagery and uh, different topics and, and kind of ideas that are brought up in one song. And then I might reference them in a different song to kind of have some kind of connection or, or, conclusion for ideas that I set up, but you don't need to have listened to another song to fully understand and appreciate each individual song. And so I'm, I think that I've walked the line on this album. And uh, if, if people agree with me, then I'll definitely be proud of, of having done that. 
Well, I'm really looking forward to listening to it. You funded the Rough Draft through Kickstarter, and you had a more ambitious goal with your new album on the platform. What are some of the things you've learned from crowdfunding music? Yeah, so with, with the Rough Draft, I mean, that Kickstarter was done kind of on a whim. I didn't actually think that we were going to hit our goal for that one because I had never done crowdfunding before. Uh, so I set it up. I think it was our goal was like 4500 I did the the math on exactly what it would cost to just break even for recording in the studio and getting it mixed and mastered and uh, and I don't I don't even think it accounted for producing the CDs like actually like buying CDs um, because I was like well if I buy the CDs then I'll try and sell them and make money on them that way but this was purely to at the end of you know, the four months that we worked on it, we would have a finished album on Spotify and be at the break-even point. And we succeeded. I think we got like 103% of our of our goal, um, which I was just thrilled about. I, you know, at that point, we were still, you know, I don't totally remember, but I feel like we were somewhere in like 15 to 20,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. So, it was before the the high schooler animation, um, you know, kind of before we a lot of, of that stuff went down. So we had a, a very small uh, uh, fan base, but we did it. We got we got our goal, and so going back around to to this one, I wanted to just have more leeway and freedom and kind of see. Okay, we didn't do any advertising. We didn't do any, you know. Uh, mailing CDs to radio stations or, or anything like that because there was nothing in the budget for it, right? It was just to produce the album last time. So what we did this time was we we upped our goal to 10,000. And I felt, based on just how our audience had grown in, in the year since the Rough Draft came out, you know, we had tripled in, in fan base. And so I thought, well, if we can double our goal, that seems perfectly reasonable. And we ended up getting 150% of that. We raised almost, yeah, I think 15,000 um, for this album. And, you know, I definitely, I definitely learned a lot the first time around on rewards, like shirts and stuff like that. And I think uh, in between the two, I have, I, I started doing um, handwritten kind of uh, uh, lyric cards and sheets. And that's been something that I think for me, uh, I've really enjoyed doing, and I think the fans of the band have really enjoyed uh, having that option. I, I know people, you know, I, I've sent them, you know, like the full handwritten lyrics to Dear McCracken or Listen to Your Mom or, you know, whatever song they want. And so I was able to kind of incorporate that into the rewards for this Kickstarter. And I'm currently, like right now, uh, writing. I got so many postcards that I need to do, all handwritten. And so I do like five a day. And so in in between getting done with work and eating dinner. I normally try and do like anywhere between five and 10 handwritten cards just so that I don't have a million to do when the album releases and I'm just like scrambling and, you know, chicken scratch and writing. So I, I think I had a better plan this time around because I, because I actually planned it. I think the, the first time it was just kind of like, well, let's see what happens. And this time I actually knew, Hey, here's what shipping's going to cost. Uh, there's going to be no surprises. And I think it went, a lot smoother, but I definitely, I know that will be kind of the next little bit of my life where, you know, I've got 250 or so packages to send out and I've never really done it at that scale before. So we're going to have to see how that goes. 
That's awesome. Congratulations on the successful Kickstarters. That's uh thank you. That's a big endeavor. Thank you. Speaking of big endeavors, last year you did a cross country tour playing shows on fifteen straight days. Yeah. What lessons did you learn from the tour? <laughs> um, well, you know, I I learned a lot and it was one of those things that we really didn't know what to expect because we had never left the West Coast before as a band. And so you can see on Spotify, like, okay, we got whatever, 400 monthly listeners in Denver. What does that translate to as far as people actually showing up? We, you know, we just didn't know. We didn't have the data. And so we packed into a minivan. Uh, and when I say packed in, I mean like Tetris packed in to a minivan. Uh, and uh, the, the end goal was to get to our, our old drummer, Marcus. Like I said, he was hiking the Appalachian Trail and he ended up uh, settling down in Maine. He was having his wedding uh, in Asheville, North Carolina. So we we hopped in the car and we're like, we're going to drive to his wedding for two weeks. And I booked us a lot of shows along the way and a lot of markets that, you know, if they don't know who you are, if they don't know if you have a fan base, if you can bring people out to a show, it's very difficult to find a venue or a bar that will say, yeah, come in, you get Tuesday. Um, because for them, it's how many people are going to buy drinks and buy tickets, things like that. So it was it was all over the place. In Salt Lake City, we played in a in an old loading dock that had been converted into a, a music venue. We played in cafes. We played in bars. There was two shows in Chicago where one of them was kind of in this underground bar area. And then the next night was like this really nice like dinner restaurant uh, where people were served by you know waiters and waitresses while we played. And then I think in Nashville, we, we played in my, in my parents' living room because we couldn't find a venue because Nashville is very competitive. And if you don't book like a year in advance, uh, you don't stand a chance, especially as a small band from out of town. Uh, so it was, it was wild. And we found that people showed up. Somebody showed up in every city, some more than others, but it's just good data to have to know. Um, and uh, it's something that, you know, money-wise, we broke even-ish. Uh, we got a couple lucky breaks on that. Um, but uh, that wouldn't deter us from doing it again. You know, we had tour plans this year and they got canceled for COVID. Uh, so we were supposed to be on the East Coast kind of doing a loop around uh, Nashville, kind of the, you know, up the East Coast to New York and Boston and cut over to Toronto and Michigan and come back down. But uh, we're going to have to reschedule that for later. So I think the next time around, it's going to go a lot more smoothly, but uh, I just don't know when that's going to be. Sure. I saw an infographic you did, I believe, on India on the Move, and you wrote a guest post there about the experience. Yeah. Uh, I think you wrote that right after the tour. Have you noticed the long-term benefits? Yeah, so that that's hard to say and, and I think a lot of the a lot of the the things that I didn't know about is, you know, back in the day, I think a band would kind of get a reputation in their local scene, right? This might be a band that draws 200 people in Seattle and then maybe in Portland, right? Because it's right down the road and they kind of grow regionally. But with with the Internet and Spotify algorithms, it has kind of created this explosion of kind of a, a casting a wide net. You know, we have fans in Australia and Germany and the UK and, you know, all across the country. But because our growth was so Internet based, 
it's very, very thinly spread. What we saw on the the tour itself was there was no bump in in our number of plays daily, right? So we could go to Chicago and, and play a show for 60 people. But at that time, we were getting, you know, seven to 8,000 streams a day. So even if all 40 of those people went on and listened to a song, you know, it wouldn't really have a noticeable effect. Um, so what, what we saw was that on a, on a listener basis, I, I haven't been able to discern any type of pattern or bump because we've gone on tour. Um, what I do know is that, you know, I meet everybody when, when people come to our show, it's, it's, you know, we don't go backstage and get on the bus and take off, right? We're there selling the merch, trying to talk to everybody because this is the coolest thing we've ever done. Uh, why would we not want to meet the people who are like there to support us? Um, and, you know, I get to know them. And I know their names. And then when I see them on social media, like I think, hey, I remember him from Lincoln, Nebraska. He drove from Omaha with his girlfriend. And I definitely saw those people's names in a in a disproportionate amount as our Kickstarter backers. Right. And so you, I could definitely say that, you know, going and meeting people and, and having this personal connection and getting to talk to them and get to know them. And when they message me on Instagram, it's like, Hey, I know you, uh, I don't, you're not just a, a name on Instagram anymore. Like we know each other. Um, and those people definitely showed up when I, when I put out the Kickstarter. And so, I would say there's probably probably a, a good correlation between the cities that we've gone to and the people we've met and the people who are then kind of who have our backs and are, are hoping that we'll kind of keep making more stuff. So, Sure. One thing you did on the tour that I thought was really cool, there's a video on YouTube of you performing my favorite song of yours, I Love You, Go to Bed, for a handful of people in a parking lot that couldn't get into yep. the show. That was a, that was a really neat thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's exactly the thing. So though that couple, they were a younger couple, they were 18 and they couldn't get into the venue. And we always try to do, uh, all ages shows, but if it's a choice between no show and 21 plus, you know, we, we have to go with the show. And so my, my wife actually spotted them walking away and kind of looking back at us as we were loading in. And, I think I think my wife called out to them like, "Are you here for the show?" And they said, "Yeah." And I was like, "Oh, you know Bug Hunter?" And you know that was still kind of I don't take that for granted ever. Um, and so they said, "Yes, like we we know your music." And I was just bummed that they weren't going to be able to come to the show because I I want everybody who wants to see us to be able to see us. Load in and sound check. They they always give too much time for that. So we're like, "Hey, we have time right now." We busted out our instruments and we and we played for them in the parking lot. And, and then that's one of those things where I met them and now I know them. And his older brother came to my show in uh, Austin, Texas, you know, six months later. And now I know his older brother and he comes up to me. He's like, hey, you played for my little brother in the parking lot. And, you know, just just making these connections uh, has been. Yeah, it's been my definitely my favorite part of of all of this. Of all the, if you call it success, call it whatever you want, it's definitely been kind of these things that I couldn't have anticipated happening uh, have all been kind of my favorite thing about doing this. That's awesome. Earlier this year, you took to Twitter to find a DM for your band to play D&D for the first time. What was that experience yeah. like? As a band, we have been quarantined. I haven't seen my bandmates since, you know, before 
before March, we recorded the upcoming album remotely, just sending files back and forth. Um, and so I was just, I was looking for a way for us to, and, and this is, I have a bad habit of doing this, especially with my bandmates, is all I talk about is uh, the music and, hey, let's, you know, this bass part, this, this, this. And I was like, I I don't want to forget that these guys are also just my buddies. They're my friends and we need to just hang out. And since we can't do that in person, um, I thought, hey, maybe maybe we can play like Dungeons and Dragons online. It's not something that we had really ever done before. And so I knew, I knew just because my fan base is, is like me, that if I asked people uh, for Dungeons and Dragons advice, I was going to find it on, um, on Twitter from my fan base. And, and luckily we had a, a guy named Sam. He is like a professional uh, Dungeons and Dragons dungeon master. And he was like, I'll, I'll run your one shot for you. And so he, uh, he did. He, he created like a, a unique from the ground up story for, for the band. And we played through it. It probably took like six hours. It was awesome. There was plot twist. It was, it was just a fun time. And we, I think we are planning to play more and kind of take the characters from the one shot and kind of keep going. But uh, at that time, there's just been so much stuff going on. Our drummer bought a house. Our uh, uh, Jesse, he is uh, relocated back down to San Diego just because of people being able to work from home and things like that. And then at a certain point, it became, hey, we need to get the album done. We have, you know, so much to do in kind of a, a short amount of time to kind of hit the deadlines we want to hit. And so we're kind of waiting now for the album to come out. And then I think we're going to pick back up and, and continue our, our bold adventure. That's awesome. What kind of character did you have? Um, I had a, a dwarf monk. And right now it's pretty much just a lot of karate chops. It's, it's basically, it's 95% karate chops. I do karate chop with my first action, then karate chop with my, my extra action. And then sometimes I'll spend a Kai point to do two more karate chops. Uh, I'm hoping to kind of learn a couple more skills if we keep playing. That's awesome. We love D&D and OAO. Big yeah, fans. Yeah, yeah. Music used to be just a hobby for you. Another one of your hobbies is board game design. You sell rock, paper, scissors, chess on your website, and you have a free web-based app where people can try the game. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah. So the origin of... So I, I design a lot of games. This is the first one that I've actually, like, put out there into the world uh the rest of them i just play i make my friends play them with me um and i might develop there's there's another one that i think is pretty good that when i have time you know when i'm not working on a on an album i might try and do something with it but uh rock paper scissors chess is a game that actually kind of started as a joke because i i would make my friends play these game ideas that I have, like, you know, I'm like soccer, the board game, like whatever. Right. And so I think someone asked me, Oh, you know, what are you going to make us play next time? And I was just trying to think of the stupidest idea I could think of. And I thought, Oh, we're going to play rock, paper, scissors, the board game. Right. And then I thought about it. I was like, wait, what would that look like if that was a board game? You know, what would it, what would it be like? And my, I kind of settled on this chess format, kind of a one V one, chess-like game uh, in the vein of Stratego or obviously chess. It's kind of right there in the name. And so, you know, I do my thing where I rip up little pieces of paper and I draw on them and I say, hey, you know, to my wife, come play this with me. Uh, let me try out these rules and see if it works. And, and we did that. And uh, it became the first game that 
you know, for uh, my dad especially um, and just my other friends, they would ask me, hey, can we play rock, paper, scissors, chess? Uh, and that hadn't really happened. Normally it was me begging them to play my games, uh, you know, and this one, they were actually coming to me and say, Hey, let's play. We'd finish a game. They'd say, let's play again. We'd finish it. Let's play again. Uh, and so I was like, okay, I think I have something here. And so, uh, basically what I'm doing now, and it's just kind of in between the music stuff because I, I kind of did it in between the Kickstarter and then recording the album. I made a hundred units of the game and I'm selling them at cost. You know, I, I'm not making a penny on them. Uh, I probably, I'm probably losing a, a dollar on each of them if I ship them. But uh, I'm just trying to get it out there and just see what people think of it um, and, and to kind of play with it. And, you know, I've been getting really good feedback. It's just something that, like, I'm, I'm, so, I'm stretched so thin between all the things that I want to do. And it's, it's definitely a passion, but I feel like I have more traction in music and... Uh, Probably I, I see a clearer path with music than I do with board game design because uh, I really don't know what I'm doing with with that whole thing. Um, so it's just something that like, hey, if you know me, if you know my music and you like chess or Stratego, I have this game. It's called Rock, Paper, Scissors, Chess. It's it's unlike both of them. But I think uh, for me, you know, what, what I what I say, because I sell them at my merch table, it shows what I say is if you like chess, you should you should get it. If you don't like chess, it's better than chess. So that's my that's my big pitch. Um, it's a good one. The game is available on your website, bughunterbug.com. Your new album comes out next month. What's next for Bug Hunter? Oh, man. I, I definitely, I'm not looking any further than this album because I, I know well enough that all of my opportunities kind of stem from where I'm at and kind of my, my place in in the music world i would love to say hey we're going to release this album and then you know coldplay is going to bring us on tour and we're going to open it on stadium like i can't say you know everything that has happened to us has been unexpected and so to try to plan is uh, it hasn't hasn't really worked um because things just kind of keep popping up in strange in strange ways so i can't say for certain what my plan is is to release this album um which is you know coming out near the end of august and see how it does you know it's it's one of those things that you know i feel right now i feel like i'm in that stage between when you when you go to an interview and you're waiting to hear back and just see what people think uh, because right now I we're we're not done done where we're like printed the final copies, but we are very very close. And so I definitely feel like I'm in kind of the that that time period between when you interview for a job and when you hear back. Uh, that's kind of what this this the next month is going to be like for me, where it's like, okay, the album is done and it's finished, and now I just have to wait to see what people think of it and. They're either going to like it or, you know, maybe some people will like it. Some people won't. Maybe people will love it. You know, it's hard to say. It's it's when you're so close to the music, it's it's hard to predict how people are going to react to it. So my plan right now is very short term. It's it's release the album, see what people think, uh, kind of go from there. Obviously, right now it's weird COVID times where we're not going to be touring anytime soon. My my wife works in the CVICU and she works with COVID patients. And so me in particular, 
uh, you know, not out of fear of catching COVID, but spreading COVID, you know, I feel it's a bit of my moral responsibility not to go sing and spray saliva on, you know, a bunch of people in a small room. It's T- TBD, kind of what's going to happen with, with live shows. I'm, I'm hoping that as a country, we can kind of get our act together for a little while and, and hopefully things can start going back to normal. But um, yeah, I'm just going to keep, I'm just going to keep doing my thing. I think after, after I release an album, I normally start writing fairly quickly afterwards um, because in the process of recording an album, you don't get to write because uh, you're so focused on recording and then listening back to it a million times to make sure it sounds right and how you want it to. And so I haven't done any writing for the, probably the last three months. Um, and so I'm looking forward to writing more and, you know, I, I don't try and re- release things on any type of schedule. So I only release things when I feel like I've written something good or worthwhile. So I, I could maybe write a whole album the week after this one comes out and release it next year, or maybe it'll be like five years. Uh, who knows? I just, uh, because it's something that I just do when I want to, uh, I kind of have that freedom to, to to wait on it. Our guest today has been Bug Hunter. You can learn more about the band and check out their music at bughunterbug.com. You can also follow Bug on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at bughunterbug. Check out his music on the website or on Spotify. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bug. This has been awesome. Yeah, this has been great. Thanks so much, Tom. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Next month, Casey and Brian will be back to talk about Castlevania. We'll also be hosting an appreciation party for our Patreon supporters in August. If you want to join us, go to patreon.com slash OIO and pledge your support for the show today. Until next time, stay inside, kids. Oh, I'm completely flustered. You guys want to do something else? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Diablo, here we come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do the social media part one more time? Are you good with that? <laughs> let's, uh, let's back up just a little bit. I'll uh, ask you guys what you've been up to since the last time we recorded. And you can talk about Diablo, honey. The problem with Tom Awesome is like if anyone's like knows me and is searching for me in the vid- virtual world, the uh-huh. virtual world. Of- <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say a bunch of nonsense that Tom can cut out later. Yeah, yeah, fiddly yeah. wings, <laughs> editing. This will be fun. <laughs> Yay! Then let's stop and do the wave. That's good. Yeah, it's yeah, really it was- hard for people who are not watching. Yeah, the- very the- hard. Yeah, listening yes. to us in their cars right now. They're going. Oh, it's just dead air. Awesome. Yeah, yes. cool. But it was fun for mm-hmm. us, and yes. that's what's most important, guys. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Love you. That's how our daughter says, "I love you." Oh my god, that's adorable. Love you. I was gonna throw up, but then you threw your daughter in there, so now it's adorable. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You guys are awesome. <laughs>